welcome to episode 229 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man over in Oakland. He's warming up his pots right now for a HelloFresh meal because we've been talking for quite some time. And he had what I'm going to call a very sketchy breakfast. It's Randy Michaelstab. <laughs> I don't know if sketchy works, but it was a very light breakfast. I had, well, the, the piece of banana bread I had was rather large. And then about two hours later, I had two eggs. So yeah, I haven't eaten much today. Now, is this- And is, we were supposed to record at 12, meal? so. I mean, you both know that I've got no control over that. <laughs> uh, second, uh, what is this banana bread situation? Did you make this banana bread? Is this a creation of yours? Did you go out and procure the banana bread? Uh, it's from a coffee shop down the street. That's less interesting. Uh, we what kind of eggs are we talking? Uh, just scrambled. With cheese? No, I don't have any cheese right now. Plus, I'm lactose intolerant. He's got some lactose issues, Josiah. Everybody does. Fuck it. (laughs) Week 21. There's medication for that, Randall. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I haven't found that it works, really. You know what, Randy? uh, Let me send you a picture of some new milk pills that I've gotten. Uh, No complaints thus far. Uh, I take two instead of one, and uh, everything looks pretty, pretty, pretty good. I might try it out. I don't know. I have a complaint. That name is gross. Milk pills? Milk pills Milk sound pills? nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us in this intro is Jasadi Perkins, fresh off a flight from Kentucky. Yeah, baby. All right. Thank you, Jasadi. <laughs> and joining us in each and every one of these intros is Oksana Valeria Osachi. Hi. Oksana, now we have changed roles for you this week was your first time being in the room during the entire thing where you had uh, an objective and that objective was to control the monitor and you're sort of keeping us in the conversation anytime that we would have reference you would have that up Oksana I will say on behalf of everyone in this room you did a fantastic job how did (laughs) how did it go for you I feel like I made this show like twice as long as it would have been if Russell had been doing that (laughs) think so no. I, I think that that's 100% Jasadi's fault yeah, yeah actually fault. I yeah. agree <laughs> <laughs> uh, joining us uh, in the interview portion of the show this week is director Stephen Kostansky Stephen joined us for a truncated version as I, I mentioned this um, in the second portion of the show uh, we had a, a shorter uh, interview time and opportunity with Stephen so we talked to him for about 20 minutes um, so enjoy that as he talks about his film that comes out the day after this episode is released, Psycho Gorman. So we talked to Stephen a good bit about Psycho Gorman and uh, one or two of other of his features. So hopefully we can get Stephen here um, in another episode here shortly. Um, so more to come on that. But before we get to all those fun festivities, Oksana has to tell us about what's screening this week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my first one, you already mentioned, it's out on Friday the 22nd, Psycho Gorman, which is about, um, which uh, follows two kids who find a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, and a young girl and her brother make him do their bidding. So that's going to be Utah out. Monolith. <laughs> what? <laughs> Power throw. Uh, that'll be out Friday the 22nd, um, just on VOD. I think the the physical releases later um, in February, I believe. Um, Before that, though, on Tuesday the 19th, A Village in the Woods comes to DVD. Um, It is 
Okay, the synopsis is every village, every person has a secret. None more so than the inhabitants of this isolated murky village whose fate lies in the luring of two unsuspecting pawns to satisfy the appetite, their appetite, and determine their being. I, I feel like I that was very unclear. So this is not a sequel to Cabin in the Woods? No, it is not. Mm. Not I yet. thought we were going to have like a Shyamalan twist. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Not yet. No. That's cool. So oh, that seriously. is going to be out Tuesday the 19th on DVD. That same day, a movie that I cannot find on IMDb um, will be out available on VOD. It's the first release from let me see, Dread Central of the year. Says our first release of 2021 is a thrilling take on Latinx horror, La Casa, from pioneering filmmaker Jorge uh, Alguin. It's a weird middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, so it's going to be on VOD the 19th, Blu-ray um, February 2nd, and the synopsis is responding to an urgent call for help. La Casa tells the story of a police officer who becomes trapped by evil spirits of a cursed home. It looks like it's found footage. Um, it definitely is shot like a found footage movie that I think Russell found it. Um, he found the footage? Good <laughs> job, buddy. He found the, potentially he found the IMDb listing. That's right. Um, he's searching for an escape. So the, the cop has to battle level and forces. So um, that is out on VOD on the 19th. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those to podcast at Overlook Theater. Com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hours available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. And The Overlook Hours available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Chisati. Hey! All remember, kids, don't get KFC. That's Kentucky Fried Corona. <laughs> For Randy Michael Stat, <laughs> Jasadi Perkins, Russell John Fisher, Oksana Valerian Osaji, I'm Clark William Little until episode 230. Boy, that killed me 230 right now. I'm like two plus <laughs> 500 pounds. Uh, if you get 100 more, you'll be on my 600 pound life. And then if I get, and if I get. All right, we're at 600. Then if I subtract 593, I'll be at my favorite Will Smith film. What? Seven pounds. Nice. <laughs> Is that what we get? At? No. No! <laughs> uh, Jasadi, uh, what should be this week's tagline? Because I've retired a uh, half on Lollipop, so I'll give it to you. Uh, we'll half- see you next week. <laughs>
So we had to go and procure this on our own. So we went to the darkest corners of the dark web. And this was uh, written by our friend, I am the ass butt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Reddit name. You know what? If when you come into here and you have a name like I am the ass butt, you get one of these. (laughs) Okay. For sure. Do you know my Reddit name? What? Lord Battle. No. Oh, it's part of it. Dr. Lord Battle. I got an adjective before. Stupid Lord Battle. Dude, gothic Lord Battle. (laughs) (laughs) You get one of these too. It was a a tribute to the Dark Lord King Cobra. R.I.P. He brought me to Reddit. He and Phil Spector passed away. How are you doing with your loss of Phil Spector? I'm doing okay. He hasn't been uh, very prolific in the last like 20 years for some reason. So his hair follicles have. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Wow. <laughs> okay, you're banished for All that. All right. See yeah. you guys later. <laughs> wow. That joke fucking lingered. Had you seen his hair? It's a good joke. No. I saw. I was uh, gonna laugh, but I was drinking. Uh, wow. Damn. Okay. Thank <laughs> you so much. Look at that. Come on. Now. Okay, we, we have Oksana in here, and she's pulling up shit. I would have never pulled up Phil Spector. I'm glad you did. Because you, you, you would have spelled him F-E-W. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, now, are you are you recording the screen, too? Okay, maybe this will turn into YouTube content. I don't know. I, I had an idea that Clark quickly vetoed, where we would put a security camera up in the corner of the room and just like pretend like we didn't even know we were on film. And we would have Randy um, like zoom in or Skype. We did it one time and he would be on the monitor, which you could catch on the, the camera. See, it'd be, it'd be right up there. Okay. I don't, I like that idea. I do too. He's too busy. It was no. Okay. The original pitch I had was that we get, we get two webcams. We have Randy on camera. Then we have the computer capture and we just go, uh, um, De Palma and have like 40 different screens yeah. in one, but, yeah. but we don't do any editing. Yeah, they're yeah. just all live all the time. Do not support this. I like, it's like surveillance that. cameras. What, what, Randy? It's like surveillance cameras. Yeah, exactly. You just get to choose what you want to watch. Yeah, you know, I like a busy screen. I don't like a busy screen. I feel like I got like ADD and I can't deny it anymore. You like, watch sports, you don't like a busy screen. I'm telling you, the, the multi game uh, cast, I don't like that. But it, it's just a, a one, one normal game. Now, what, okay, <laughs> but I'll have multiple screens for that. I don't want multiple games on one screen. I can have six screens lined up. I'm fine with that. So you need your screens separated. Yes. You like segregated screens. I like segregated <laughs> screens. Thank you so much. Dude, what if they all had their own screen saver? <laughs> all right, we got to explore other buttons. That's the, the golden... <laughs> He got pubic hair on his head. <laughs> I told you, man. That's not a, yeah. That's ramen noodles on his head. Is that still Creepy Clark's? Uh... No, because when when you made the um, logo for that episode, I just put that as his. I didn't make that logo. When, I didn't even know that was happening. When whoever <laughs> made that logo. When whomever. I don't think that's correct. <laughs> they used to correct me on that all the time, and then I learned. So, you know, thank you. In this particular sentence, I think whoever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jasadi is joining us this week. Jasadi, you just came off an aeroplane, from what I understand, coming back from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yep. You were out there for a while. You were shooting a film? Uh, yeah, working on a short film with my buddy Josh Eagle. 
Uh, now, does Josh Eagle, does he live in Kentucky? No, nah, he's from Kentucky. He, okay. lives, he lives in Oakland. Uh, so, yeah, he wrote and directed a short film. And I went out there to, well, I was supposed to film. I was supposed to be second camera operator. And our buddy, Demontre Ward, is, was a DP. As soon as we got ready for our first uh, shot, my camera just would not turn oh. on. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah. Like, it literally, like, ever before, when we were setting everything up, it was turning on. It was turning on before we got there. When we got there, it was turning on. So you've never had issues with this camera before? Never had issues before. As soon as, like, we're ready to, like, okay, we're ready to roll. We're ready to slate and everything. It just doesn't turn on. Aww. And so, I'm like, fuck. So, we roll the take. We're able to just do that part with one camera. I tried to figure out what's going on with my camera. I'm thinking, I was like, man, is it the cold weather? Because it was, it was cold, but it wasn't, like, too, too cold. It was probably, like, like around 40 degrees. And it was still like not working. We set up for the next shot. Still doesn't turn on. So I got, well, I shouldn't say demoted, but I got, my position got changed from oh. camera guy to sound guy. <laughs> oh. So, uh, I mean, it was it was dope. I'm, I mean, I'm still glad to be part of the project and we already do. It was all like a learning process, but. Uh, Did you ever yeah. figure out what's going on with your camera? Um. So the thing about that camera is. Uh-oh. I was kind of given that camera and somebody told me that they quote unquote found it. Whoa. <laughs> was there footage in it? Wait, this is a hot camera? Fell off a truck Maybe. somewhere. Oh, he's got F- a hot camera. Fell off of a SUV with broken glass. Fell off a fucking truck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Le- I mean, lesson learned. Buy shit new. So was it junk? It just I, no, no, it it works when you put. It's it's. I mean, if you know if you know about camera, it's a black magic camera. And if was you it know that about super those nice cameras, camera you brought to us. No, 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 it wasn't that one. No, 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 that one I bought new. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Why didn't you bring that to Kentucky? I should have. This camera is just it has some more bells and whistles All to right. it, and it's okay. a 4K camera. You know, there's a good movie that uh, the premise is people finding a camera. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Paranormal Activity 5, The Ghost Dimension. You should watch that film. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't... I, uh... No, they find a camera. It's a period piece, and it looked like somebody had been working on it. Yeah. And when they look through it, they can see into the ghost dimension. Yeah. I saw into <laughs> Dude, the dimension cool. of me holding a fucking boom mic for three hours in 20-degree weather. That's yeah, what you I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, but it was, it was cool. I mean, the trip was was great. Kentucky, I, I love Kentucky. It has a special place in my heart. Um, I just love, I just love the people out there, and I just love how like nice people are. Yeah. While walking outside of Walmart with a, a Glock nineteen on the hip, <laughs> like I, I just love that. Like we were filming, and we we're filming at all these different places, and people were like, I, we thought that like. Since you know, because we're in like a small, we're in uh, Ashland, Kentucky, mm-hmm. so like they don't see too many people filming out there. And, like, the fact that, like, we're out there with cameras and a boom mic, we're thinking that people are just going to run into the shot and be like, oh, you guys are filming a movie? But no, everyone was respectful. They waited till we cut until they, like, you know, talked to us. And uh, it was just cool seeing people saying, like, hey, like, good job on the film, guys. And just walk around with their guns. (laughs) (laughs) Out of Kroger's. (laughs) Good. Stay on the damn shot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, besides that. Uh, snafu. Um, it was it was good. It, it was a good experience. Well, you're like, back. It was my first experience. So, did you film the entire thing in Kentucky, or you just had to get a couple things? No, the entire the entire thing was based in Kentucky, and so we we filmed everything there, and it, it was it was great. Man, I feel like you fly out all the time to go do shit. 
Nah, Am I wrong? I just, uh, I find, oh yeah, because I did fly to New Orleans. Yeah, I, I mean, if over. I can find a way to do it, like I, I do, like I love to travel and I love to film. So it's like, yeah, I want to do, I want to do traveling during COVID. All the hotels are cheap. Let's go to Vegas yeah, or something. Yeah. My flight was cheap. Like everything is cheap. Look, man. Life is cheap. If I'm going to die, <laughs> I'd rather die in Kentucky eating fucking White Castle. Uh, you, hey, you had Kentucky Fried COVID out yeah. there. <laughs> hey, now that you're back, are you going to come back on isolation? Yes, I, mean, I am. So, fuck my job. I found out what was going on with my job. Uh-oh. Fuck them. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm coming back to isolation. Oh, what happened? Wait, here, here a little context. Jasadi was... Ba- so, you're a security <laughs> guard. He defends, like, I don't know, like $100 million in uh, gold bars. And yeah. he's the one guy in between the gold and the people. Yeah. And you would just bail on Thursdays and come hang out with us on camera. <laughs> and one day you came out and... Uh, uh, <laughs> You came in, you changed, you came on camera, you said hi, and then you said, I think I need to leave. My manager is there. Yeah. So I got a phone call from the field manager of this security company, I won't name. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, are you at work? No, no. They asked me if I work at the building. And I'm like, yeah, I work at that building. And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh cool. We're outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know that feeling when like, oh, I like know my balls went inside of my chest. <laughs> Like I was like, what the fuck? And I and then so I had to think of something quick. I was like, oh, I, uh, I'm on lunch. <laughs> so um, so yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm on lunch, and uh, you know I'll be back in 30 minutes. I'm now, all the way. Now, how far away are you from this? Place? I'm an hour away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were over. You're hanging out with us in Pacifica. Yeah, you work in Deep East Bay. Man, yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I, I changed my clothes so fast. I've never got changed that. Yeah, quickly. he was gone. Because I, I, I tr- when I came in, I changed out of my work clothes into my normal clothes. As soon as I got the phone call, and I was right in the beginning. I sat down. I opened up a beer. I sat down, <laughs> and I kept getting this phone call from this number. I'm like, oh, that's strange. The same numbers calling me back to back. Oh no! <laughs> Once I got the news, I quickly changed. Yeah, he was gone, and, and it, yeah. you've been missed. We want you back. And you got back yeah. in, in how quick a time? Well, I got back so fast that the CHP was so proud of me that I got back so fast that they wanted to stop me and talk to oh, me about it. Oh, really? And they wanted to give me a piece it? of paper. You got pulled over? Yeah. You I was, didn't tell me that. I was doing 100 on the freeway. Oh, my. You got Jesus. pulled over on the way back? Yes. God. And I was so cl- The exit was right there, and they and they pulled me over. And I, I knew. I was As soon as he walked up, I was like, we we both know, well, like we know. I you know, I know. I saw my speedometer. I'm going hundred. <laughs> my truck only goes to hundred, so I'm do, like, it's there. <laughs> well, now you got you got a what? A Chevy fifteen hundred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year? Fifteen hundred. Uh, two thousand. And you were pushing. You got a twenty year old truck. Yes, I'm pushing it, and that baby still <laughs> runs. It's still sparked out. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. You can't take down those fifteen hundreds. No, you, you right cannot. Now? I love I love that truck. But uh, yeah, so the the cop, he was cool about it. Like, um, I told him my situation. He was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get a ticket." Though he was like, "Yeah," he told me. I mean, that's all I respect because he was like, "Look, I'm still gonna give you a ticket." But but he actually helped me out because he on on the uh, ticket he said that he had me doing seventy instead of a hundred. Oh wow! Because the ticket would have been way more, dude. Yeah. So he's Very like, nice. "Yeah," so he was he was cool. That's rad. Um, also, that's huh? a that's a legit excuse you when you're running late. You can't defund that. <laughs> No, yeah, dude, exactly. Running late to work, that's a 
an excuse I've always got in my back pocket where yeah. I'm like, oh, I got pulled over. So I feel like if you would have went there and they would have gave you shit, you could have been like, dude, the CHP pulled me over. Oh, yeah. Yo, yeah. I used to work at a you nonprofit company. You showed them the ticket. Yeah, that, that I did the same thing. I was running. I didn't get pulled over, but I lied and said I did. And it was during around the rise of like Black Lives Matter and all that. Oh. And it was just so perfect because I'm like one of the few black people that was working there. <laughs> so like when I was running late and they're like, yo, just like, where are you? And I was like, oh, I, I got, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I got pulled over. And they changed the whole oh. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> you need us to stay on the phone? Oh my gosh. Was it very traumatic for you? <laughs> we need to create a safe space so that you can talk about this. <laughs> You're like, I think he was a proud boy. Like, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, yeah. take the yeah. day off. Yeah. For real. <laughs> if you need to take the rest of the day off to, you know. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I found out, um, I thought like my manager was on to me about, you know, not being there, <laughs> being in isolation instead of work. Yeah. But it wasn't the case. It was just other people. Not You've got a job. job. The, the gold's still there. The gold is still there. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage won't steal it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> National treasure reference. <laughs> All right. Uh, Russ, do you have anything else uh, for up top? Uh, I want to give a shout out to Chris DePretis who uh, sent us. He, Hell yeah. He's still doing zines out there. And uh, if you follow him on Instagram, all he says is like, hey, if you comment and say you want one, he'll, he'll mail you one. Uh, his latest one is great. I'm actually going to hand it over to Clark after we record. Uh, Clark, you got to read it. I know you want to, but like, it's found footage adjacent, adjacent, and it's mm-hmm. got like, yeah, the protagonist is a lion in L.A. It's really good. A mountain lion, from what yeah. I so shout out to that. Follow him, uh, Randy. What's his Instagram? Do we we know that off the top of our yeah? Head? I follow him on Instagram. I think That's you, fair. It's probably go, just his name. Yeah, yeah. Or if you if you go, yeah, you can find him. But like, definitely hit him up. He mails them out. They're Zine is like a dead art, especially in you know the era of lockdown. I feel like it's a thing you'd walk into Amoeba and find them for free on a shelf and take. And Jasani, did you ever see that uh, YouTube footage of the the hiker being stalked by a mountain lion for like an yes, hour? Yes, and he's like like trying to talk to him and shit. Yeah, I tell you, we tweeted that out early. It's terrifying. I yeah. I was there when uh, that dropped, and I put it out there on the Overlook Hour podcast. It blew up like a week later. Yeah, I'm like people need to be watching us. That that shit that shit looks scary. Oh, Randy. Yes, sir. Uh, we were supposed to have a meeting at some point where we were going to push you to be our uh, official spokesperson on Twitter. <laughs> I figured you'd be down. So, you know, on Instagram and on. Yeah. Oh, should damn, we make both. Instagram? Should we make an well, Instagram? You ha- oh, you don't have an Instagram. We have an Overlook one. Yeah. I, this is a separate conversation. I know, but I just I think there should be its own little corner for people. I think, you know, Oksana runs the Overlook Theater thing. She's very uh, prim and proper. And I think, you know, our sensibilities Brand are not proper. Yeah, they're they're a little different. So I don't know. That was just the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, uh, basically meaning that Oksana is still uh, pure. She doesn't have the jaded um, commentary that that both Russell, myself and Randy all share. <laughs> yeah. That we have no hope for the universe. OK. And okay. that this um, this attitude is transferred over into the language where Oksana comes in her own different non-jaded uh very open and warm way. She's yeah. she's the sour cream to y'all chili. Sure. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, like like when dealing with the publicist, she goes by the book and they leave happy. When That's we good. deal with them, we have a dude playing clips of uh, Clark talking about balls in his mouth or something. <laughs> and Maya never comes back. Okay. And I want That's all Chris's fault. <laughs> I agree. And uh, I just think, you know, that tone should be available somewhere. Oh, okay. And Twitter, you know, Twitter's not for regular people. It's for people who are trying to, you know, be famous. Or, like, look at Randy. He's always out there pushing his band and shit. But since yeah. you brought up Maya. <laughs> I am very, very sorry. And I beg for your forgiveness. Even though it's 100% Chris's fault when I said suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> to a woman. Okay. Uh, Russ, anything else before we throw it to Randiggy? Nah. Also, I mean, there's a Randy, lot. how do you feel about Randiggy is your new name? I think you've said it before, but I'm not a big fan. <laughs> what about Rand Diggle? Uh, it's a little close to Rob Riggle. <laughs> Is that no good? No. Rand Dizzle. Uh, Rand Dizzle's aight. Oh, you're a Snoop Dogg oh, fan, right. huh? <laughs> like to keep it old school, man. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. All right, Randy, you got a couple different movies for us. Uh, one of which you tried to to bully me into watching yesterday, Randy. And Randy, as you know, I don't answer to terrorism, so <laughs> I've yet to see this. I have I have seen the advertisements for this feature. I know uh -huh. a lot of people are talking about it. This is a feel good movie. Is that what we're going into? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's not a feel good movie and it's not a feel bad movie. It's, it's a little bit in between. <laughs> it's called a, yeah, it's a, it's called some kind of heaven directed uh, by Lance Oppenheim, who I just found out is 25 years old. Oh, right. It's a, it's an 83 minute documentary. Uh, yeah, so this documentary is about this uh, retirement community called The Villages uh, in Florida, which, yeah, it's a, it's a place for older people to go. And it's, uh, it's about the size of a small city. I think they have like 100,000 residents. In and this uh, retirement community? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, essentially... Yeah, dude. Yeah. I was, I was just waiting to say that. It's essentially, yeah, it's basically like a small, th a small city. They have like a movie theater. They have like their own news channel. It's uh it's kind of crazy. But uh essentially when they I live there. Uh it, it probably costs a lot of money, but yeah. I would love to live with a bunch of old people. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. And all and old man, old people, they freaks too. <laughs> <laughs> there's they definitely are. there's definitely some weirdos in this movie. Go to the bone zone. <laughs> Um, so yeah, when they, when they set out to build this place, they essentially wanted it to be like a Disneyland for retirees. Um, so they actually based like the main like city, uh, like the main street off, to, off of like, uh, Disneyland, uh, main street. So there's a lot of buildings that have like, you know, EST, like 1927. And it's like just completely made up like history. Like doesn't actually, it's basically like, a a place for old people to go and kind of just like live the rest of their life, life in sort of this weird, very surreal bubble of a city that like they just, yeah, created. And it's, uh, it's weird, but they have a, a lot of activities they have. So this one is weird. They have parrot head conventions. Oh, oh. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> yeah. 
They straight oh, up have Jimmy Buffett. Like, wait, hold on. You knew what that was? Of course. I thought it was Hell a weird yeah. sexual thing. Yeah, no. me too. When yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I heard Parrothead. Like, See, we're normal. Yeah. No, you're like Jimmy it, Buffett. You do understand that Jimmy Buffett is the highest grossing American entertainer. At, with, with Everyone really? knows Jimmy Buffett parody. What demographic? You've got to get outside of your little California <laughs> okay. bullshit bubble yeah. and know what the rest of the country is doing. Yeah, well, you're wearing sunglasses indoors in and California. And I'm fucking <laughs> crushing it right now, dude. <laughs> Yeah, Parrot Head is Jimmy, oh, Jimmy Buffett. Parrot Head? Unfortunately, look, did, Jimmy Buffett went to the same college I went to, so I know all about Jimmy Buffett and the Parrot Heads. Is that Randy. like a groupie? Like well, that's just what it, they, they call his, his fans. The yeah, they just like meet up and they have margaritas and like hang out and eat food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. They, uh, they, yeah, they film one. It's pretty funny. Dude. Um, but yeah, essentially the, the movie focuses on uh, three groups of people. So one is a... Uh, a couple who's been there for a while and like the, the, uh, the husband in the couple is starting to lose it a little bit. And then there's a lady mental faculties. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but uh, it's interesting. And then, uh, there's a lady who moved there like right after her husband died. Uh, so she's a widow. And then there's this guy who doesn't live there, but he's from California and he lives in his van and he just parks there and goes to meet ladies who potentially have a lot of money so he can get into this community in a cheap way. I want to drink some of that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of like really interesting people and stories in it, but um, it's also like super stylized. It's shot in like a boxy, like four by three or 133 yeah, look, ratio. Uh, it's super cinematic. They basically shoot everything with tripods so you don't really get like a, a verite style. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very cinematic and it feels like each frame is like composed, um, very well. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, considering how weird this community is and how like kind of surreal it is from an outsider. I, it doesn't really like poke fun at the characters. It, uh, I think it has empathy for a lot of the characters in the movie and, uh, yeah, it gets, it gets a little emotional towards the end too. And, uh, yeah, I recommend it. Dude, the framing looks beautiful, and the the whole tripod not looking cinema verite thing. Yeah, it's a it's a conversation that the horror community just doesn't have the 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 language to have, huh. because a lot of found footage horror, it it would be treated so differently if people just used a tripod. But I think everybody's you know for a long time at least at least a decade they were just trying to mimic the Blair Witch, but they didn't know exactly what they were trying to mimic. Yeah. And, and again, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where if they knew the film language, it would be like, well, you're trying to do Verte and you can still do it with the tripod. Yeah. I, I, it, this movie does look really quirky, though. It almost looks like... Which is which begs my next question. So, Randy, as you know, I my favorite documentary of all time happens to take place in the state of Florida, uh -huh. uh, which is Vernon, Florida. So, um, <laughs> does... And th again, this deals with, you know, geriatrics in the state of Florida. Yeah. However... Yeah. This being a giant, um, you know, compound of retirees, it begs the question that I'm I'm going to to go outside the box here and assume that a large portion of these residents are not Florida natives, as Florida is sort of where people go to die. So um, I think that do we have any sort of that Florida weirdness going on here? Um. Yeah, I think most of the people that like we we follow in the movie, yeah, are not from Florida, actually. But 
I don't know. There's definitely a lot of weird stuff going on. And it's just like, it's very surreal watching it. It's not like, you know, it's not like David Lynch, like weird surreal, but uh, yeah, the fact that they essentially live in like a theme park. So uh, that in itself is like pretty bizarre just to, just to watch. How bizarre? Uh, very bizarre. Um, you already said it. I have, a cu- I, have a, I have a couple questions. Oh, All here right. we go. Do, all right, uh, here we I, And you got your question uh, theme. <laughs> uh, do you think the it being on sticks the whole time kind of changes the way we look at the characters? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we can't just power through that. Just, uh, what? You can't, I know, what are you saying? You can't just go through the whole thing of saying tripods, and then you, and then you come in all cool and shit saying. Hey man, it being on sticks and shit. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm pretentious. I know the lingo, dude. Sticks. Well, you just named my third favorite band. <laughs> Continue. Um, I don't know if it really affects take the- that wine away from you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Randy. Sorry, I don't know exactly how it really affects the movie or how we see it, but I assume that a lot of scenes were set up in a sense because. You know, he's using the the four by three ratio and you can tell that he's like framing shots for that. And there's a lot of like scenes where two characters in the movie are talking and it's shot like a movie. Like you get like almost extreme close ups. You get like shot reverse shot of like people talking. So I'm sure there's a little bit of like, you know, manipulation or sort of like setting a scene that you have to do um, in this, which I don't know. It's still a documentary. I mean, there's plenty of documentaries that stage shit that just like they stage it to look more real. Dude, Randy, is four three like the new pretentious frame? Like, you know, back in the day, like when you were going widescreen and there'd be like DVD or VHS and it'd be like widescreen version. And you knew you were just like you were different if you wanted that. I like yeah. three. And then, yeah, but like now, but I, I think it's just something where, you know, the TV is not designed for it anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you're a filmmaker and you choose to do that, it's almost like, I don't know, is that like signaling or like what, like what's going on it's, there? It's definitely intentional, but it's usually, it usually has a purpose, like for Lighthouse, because I think it was filmed in like, it was filmed in a box format similar to that. I think it just fits that purpose for that time. Like they wanted to really yeah. make it. That but are time. you, are you stamping your film by saying this is not a movie? This is a film. None. It not demands your attention. And like, you know what I mean? Like, so like, for example, like, uh, in the hunger games, <laughs> they, um, I didn't never, okay. Jennifer L. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, uh, they changed formats within the film. They, they changed the, uh, so every time I never saw the film, but I was oh, just watching okay. the documentary. <laughs> and I was watching a documentary about uh a film like ratios and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so basically every time she they, like they go out to hunt or mm-hmm. when they go out into the field or whatever, um, it widens. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice. It's I've probably an IMAX thing. thing. People people normally don't notice, but the aspect ratio changes every time she goes into the field and when she comes or when the people go back underground or whatever so it does that through the movie so there's a lot of times with aspect ratios there's intention uh behind it oh for sure i mean dude talking about found footage uh mixed media is huge and my favorite thing is when we know we're clearly cutting to a vertical phone yeah because there's so much in a vertical phone like normally when people are taking video it's for their social media, mm-hmm. but you do it horizontally because you don't want to make people have to look at a weird frame. But if you're doing it vertically, it's usually because you're trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. So I love that shit. Uh, I just, I, it seems like a pretentious move now. 
Yeah, I get like, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and and the lighthouse was not a great. Fuck you, I like that movie. Lighthouse yeah, I like it great. too. Lighthouse was, was yeah. awesome. But uh, my next question was: uh, Was okay. this film? Was it film or digital? I believe it's digital. It looks. I mean, it looks great, but it doesn't like have grain. It's pretty, uh, like pristine. Randy, uh, looks like. All right, film. I got a question for you, Randy. Uh huh. You ready? Always. Florida, huh? Hi, we just bought a new place down there. Yeah. I know. We were looking at the brochure. You what? Why? You're thinking of moving? No, not really. Because if you are, you shouldn't. There's nothing available on that development. Are you telling me there's not one condo available in all of Del Boca Vista? That's right. <laughs> we went like hotcakes. How'd you get yours? Stop looking. Are you trying to keep us out of Del Boca Vista? Uh, that was the question. I didn't. <laughs> My favorite is. Uh... When the, when they showed all the other takes of that, of how many times it oh, took yeah. him to say Del Boca Vista? Yeah. Del Vista Boco. <laughs> <laughs> also, Randy, I don't know what you posted. I think you, you sent um, a picture and a text to me and Clark. And the, the only thing I walked away from that picture with is acknowledging your Seinfeld DVD collection crammed under your TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I just took a... A screen, well, not a screenshot. It took a picture of me watching the new Doug Lyman film, Lockdown, which is not good. <laughs> yeah, it looked, it looked that I can't get through the trailer, brother. Well, that's why we're talking about your Seinfeld DVDs, which I would, <laughs> I, you know, I never pulled the trigger on them. I always wanted that refrigerator. Mm-hmm. You remember uh, yeah. that? Yeah. When that shit came out, it was like $500, though. T- dude, it was like every time I went into, because I used to go into Best Buy all the time. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I used to have a pretty decent DVD, only DVD collection. Well, I never really got into Blu-rays because that's how old this is. And I would always look at that Seinfeld thing. as like know. one day, one day. <laughs> they were just so exorbitantly expensive. Oxana, can you pull up eBay? Let's let's see where it's at right now. <laughs> I I want to pull the trigger on that fucking thing. I guarantee you. I Wait, bet it, it has to be cheaper. It has to be <laughs> cheaper than the Al Adamson box set. Seinfeld what? Seinfeld had a box set. It was a collector set that, mm. that looked like Jerry's fridge. It was the size of Jerry's fridge? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it was the size of a fucking refrigerator. I think I got all these before that came out. And then I was bummed when that came out. And I was like, damn it. Dude, and that's how they used to fucking do it. They would release season one, which would be yeah. like 130 bucks. Hey, that's cheaper. That's not bad. That's a, that's that a lot is, cheaper. Yeah, click that. A uh, worn fridge. Oh, a what? Is it Somebody's a, been putting their food in there? contents. <laughs> Looks like the, the outside. That's not bad. You Wait, pull that trigger. Is that a real fridge? It's a real that's fridge. A real fr- Wait, what? That's a B- real fridge. Bro, that's a real fr- No, it's not. I want that. It is. Sealed content. No. No, it's on the table. Are y'all, it's on the- <laughs> y'all are in. What is happening today? No, we knew you smoked a J. We're just trying God. to get you I'm a- the one <laughs> who should be jacked all up, man. I'm on half a J. Oh, oh see, look. I'd still fuck with it. For 130 Dude, bucks, man. I'm telling no. you, they came out at they 500. They did. It was it was crazy, but that's that part still not open though. You know, another one I think about a lot is Twin Peaks. I've got that. You got the gold I one. I got the gold. Oh, really? You know how? It's back at home. Yes. Are you fucking idiot? No, 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 no. <laughs> incorrect. I it's have here. It. You don't have it. You're a liar. Think, you? No, 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 <laughs> no. You know what? Yeah, I think it is back home because here's what happened. I bought it here, and then when I moved back, I think I brought it back with me. So, I wait, think you it, moved back home? Yeah. So I moved here for six months in 2011. 
went home and then came back in 2012. Whoa, what happened Weird. there? Whoa, what happened? Long story. Oh, <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait. No. you came, I didn't realize, I thought if you had been here and moved, you would have never came back. No, I came back in 2012. So you had that gold one. I got the gold. Oh, oh that one had all the good handout shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, you, you know, you know, I got it for cheaper because I got it when um, borders closed out. Oh, yeah. So I got it as part of the borders liquidation sale. And I had, I was kind of waiting for that 50% off. Yeah. And I, I nabbed it. Ooh, right you're then. ballsy, dude. A lot of that shit goes quick. Not in San Mateo, baby. <laughs> I used to go out there for to that borders, too. It was good. And you had Barnes & Noble down there, too. Mm-hmm. You could do a, a twofer. Yeah. I You know, when the Blu-ray came out, the market on that gold box set plummeted and people were pissed because it was one of their like oh this is my holy grail over here yeah and then it comes out on blu-ray and people are like eh i got a better version vhs dude that's always going to be a little hipster but i i love it i love the fucking vhs all right all right randy now that we spent 45 minutes (laughs) on your first movie (laughs) i'll be quick yeah Yeah. i'll be quick with uh the next one because i assume you guys will watch it i'm not sure when but um well, you, you recommended know. it, so probably in a year. Yeah, exactly. I'm and not- also, Oksana rec- recommended it in the uh, intro last week. It's called I Blame Society, uh, which I watched on the Balboa Theater's virtual cinema. Um, yeah, and it's it's definitely in the realm of the found footage in-world camera uh, type of movie, um, directed by Jillian w- Wallace Horvat, uh, and also starring Jillian. Um, it's... Essentially a, so her character in the movie, uh, one of her friends, well, she's a filmmaker and one of her friends one day, uh, tells her that she'd make a good serial killer. And so she decides to make a, uh, a documentary on that and how she would, uh, commit the perfect murder. And, um, yeah, so that's, that, that's part of the plot. And then, um, yeah, it's kind of just a, uh, darkly comedic meta, uh, satire of LA and kind of like the struggles uh, of her being a female filmmaker. And uh, she, she's really great in this movie. Um, definitely sells the, her character gets more deranged as the film goes on and it's very entertaining. Um, and she's really good. And the movie itself is really solid as well. Yeah. You know, one of the themes with um, found footage horror, I was talking to um, listener Sam about this last week is just how slasher films, they always, you know, their, their killers portray a uninhibited, like male energy usually, and it's protected by a mask. And we were talking about how the camera can also offer you that escape. And I love watching like self filmed, uh, descents into darkness mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I, I really want to watch it. You know, it's funny is that the cover turned me off. I never, I know me too, connection. actually. Yeah. And, and I, you know, honestly, the way that it's, um, Why? I don't, cause I didn't see the camera and a lot of that kind of like pop, um, female protagonist horror. Yeah. I don't know. I get a lot of signals that are like, uh, Amazon prime dump. There's a pretty girl and we got nothing else. Yeah. And, but you throw in a camera like that and I'm instantly intrigued. I mean, clearly I'm biased, but I no, mean, I don't like the image either. Like I don't right? like it as a, from a photography standpoint. Well, you're, you've got an eye too. And, uh, the He's subject got two of them. Yeah. And, uh, the electric one He's is my favorite. Four. Oh, oh yeah. What happened? I got LASIK. You did? No, I was playing. Not yet. But I got, <laughs> Are you uh, scared contacts. of it though? 
Are you no, sc- I want to get it. No, I'm pro- I'm gonna get it soon. I just gotta. I'm scared of LASIK credit. now, bro. It's 2021. We Bruh. got Chinese viruses. Uh, exactly. Oxana just raised her hand for everybody who can't Why? see. Why scared of LASIK? No, the technology's changed. It's like it's good. not a laser going into your eyeball anymore. They, they do have some, but it's like, bro, they do. They the laser is literally for like 25 seconds each eye. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, go ahead. Randy. I'm not afraid of LASIK, but I'm afraid I'll. Uh, I'll pull a Drew Carey and I'll get LASIK and then I'll be like, oh shit, I look weird without glasses and I just wear glasses again. Brandy, <laughs> you're going to look beautiful without glasses. All right. Let me, not expl- let me, let no me explain something about the Drew Carey situation. Oh no. <laughs> Drew Carey's had those glasses on as a bit the whole time. Oh. oh. Thank you very much. He's oh, Ray wait. Charles. Piggybacking off Drew, because doesn't he host uh, um, Price is Right? The Price most right. successful. My yeah. homie just won twelve thousand dollars on Price, Price is right? right. Yeah, nice. We were just we're the the guy that we we're filming with in Kentucky. He he was on Price is Right. He's I, about to get his, he's I getting bullshit. his money today. I swear to, bro, <laughs> I will beat y'all ass. Hey, get the phone away from the mic. We don't oh, need that today. <laughs> it's not uh, doing it yet, but yeah, fucking. I I love the Price is Right, and I like Drew Carey on the Price is Right. However, nothing will be. Steve Harvey on Family Feud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he's just like meme quality every episode. He em- he embraces YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you need. Yeah. And I don't know why they made a fucking video game that embraces a streaming culture, but they don't have a they, Steve Harvey. They've got, and they've got the worst. Yeah, Lucky is his Lucky name. is I fucking Clark. hate him. No, but here's the, Oh, that's awesome. Do do you yeah. think that's on purpose? Like clearly having a boring white guy as a host just to create conversation. I don't know because I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, honestly <laughs> the first time when I, I, the I saw the whole thing Feud, and the lack I of mean, Steve Family Harvey, Feud, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was maybe some sort of contract dispute. You know, it could be, but also you can't can Steve Harvey. Like no. how the how the fuck would you that translate into a video game? It is true because you know everything is you know. The reason why Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey, because you know no one is sharper in the moment. I no, like yeah, how it yeah, said yeah. Lucky McKee. <laughs> it's not Lucky McKee that's doing Family Feud. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not McKee. It's not that's the director. <laughs> <laughs> His name's Lucky, but not, not McKee. Not, not Lucky McGee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Search. Uh, if, I don't know. Okay, we definitely. I don't care what it ends up looking like. I, We're I'm gonna have gonna, to dump I'm this on YouTube lie. for that. I, I love Steve Harvey. But I, I mean, maybe it's, it, he probably did it because he was old, but that fro that he used to have and that lineup, it was the crispiest lineup ever. Yeah. And now that he's bald, it's just like, damn. That mustache, though. <laughs> I mean, the mustache is, is fire, but when he had that fro, man, that, he, that shit was perfect. Like, people just, that was like the idea. If you was black and you had your fro and you wanted to get your hair lined up, that was like the thing. Like, you need to have your hair like that. Dude, the internet has scrubbed Lucky from Family Feud. I said he could not oh, yeah. find it. It's fine. He got canceled, actually. Uh, Lucky? Just... Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Producer Jasadi over here trying to talk Lucky... off. Because Lucky. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. He's trying to give you hand signals to use the soundboard I can't somehow. Hear you. Play the soundboard. Oh, oh, my oh, really? God. Oh, really? Oh. Okay, here we go. Take because... two. All right, here we go. And go. Because Lucky. He's a pedophile. Thank you so much. What? That wasn't even the right setup. Oh, uh, uh the motherfucker. The, oh, they, they, oh no. They, oh, wait, wait. They take three, take three, take three. Okay. So it's good to be back okay. in a normal episode. <laughs> <laughs> they canned Lucky from Family Feud because he's a pedophile. Wow. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. That was really good. I'm glad to be here for the jokes, y'all. 
No, I was applauding uh, Clark because that soundboard likes to have a little delay. You nailed it. I, I, I was like, let me go in early and <laughs> see where <laughs> we go. And it worked yeah, out. It. All right, Randy, you got any other tangents we can go down? Randy hung up. And Randy's gone. <laughs> Randy? I think he left. He's still he's still there. He went to go All right. look at his uh folk. Right. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk about two films, uh, both of which I saw yesterday. Uh, the first is a two-part documentary that is airing on HBO Max. It is an HBO Sports original. It is entitled Tiger, about Tiger Woods. Uh, I just wanted to mention this because this is a fantastic sports documentary about the life of Tiger Woods, where in part one, uh, part two is actually airing tonight, uh, Sunday night as we're talking to you. So I've only seen half of this, as the other half will be released uh, later. But I'll try to talk about part two uh, next week. Uh, essentially, part one covers the early days of Tiger and essentially how the the creation of what we know as Tiger Woods. Oh, and they have that footage. Yes, they've got the procreation. <laughs> um, but essentially of how how Tiger was born with one mission. And that one mission was completely uh, at the behest of the architecture of his father, where it's he wanted his son to be the greatest black golfer of all time the greatest golfer and he was going to be black mm -hmm. and he was going to change the golf game because golf is a very stuffy white game yeah and so um i think and, randy said it was for boomers yes definitely oh randy, oh, randy, randy, yeah. randy you're back yeah i just had to pee so so what, we got dueling soundboards now oh my God. dude we needed we needed some tiger uppercut no zero <laughs> uh, so so the first episode covers uh it's 90 minutes long and it, it essentially covers his early life and then his his amateur days and then him going pro leaving college and how essentially he was off to the races very quickly and you know how just tiger mania was so part two will essentially go into the fall of tiger woods with his uh sex addiction uh, but we sort of get we sort of get a Sorry, taste of, of, of understanding of of how tiger got there and his upbringing how strict his parents were to him both his father and his mother and that golf he was just singly minded towards golf and actually um we do get interviews with his first girlfriend um, who was very candid about their relationship and, and how his parents intervened and how Tiger really never had a shot at any other life other than golf and, um, and how that she saw that switch take a place in him where when they were dating and that he would go to her, their houses and escape uh, away from his parents. Uh, but then she just saw that switch happen to him where it was only with golf and he just had a, a singular focus uh, towards getting there and um, you know how that was done. So the documentary is expertly done. It's, it's beautiful. And honestly, I think one of my favorite things about it is how they uh, are editing the sports footage because they, they show a lot of the broadcast, but how they're editing that really fits um the narrative and uh, honestly it's 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 beautiful how they do that now who's the director i uh, that's an excellent question uh matthew hamachek looks like that's a hell of a last name what else did you do now you're watching uh tiger, tiger but are you gonna jump into the last dance now because you're dealing with singular dudes mm. who are driven you know purely by one goal 
they achieve it. But then, you know, there's also the like, where does all the stress go? And then they both come out with an addiction. And you're you're also dealing with with two of the maybe the most popular names of all time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Tiger Woods Mania, I think in a in a sense, I'm going to say Tiger was maybe bigger than Michael Jordan in some aspects. <clears throat> because he brought because he brought the sport of golf with him. Yeah, where okay, golf okay. was not on the radar for no. for a lot of this country. Now, granted, you know you've got your Jack Nicholas, you've got you you know, you've got all these great golfers that you who, know, ex- well, <laughs> but <laughs> when, when Tiger came on the scene, he brought golf with him, and yeah. I'm telling you, in, in that late '90s, because uh, my 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 uncle, my nephew are enormous Tiger fans, and so I was sort of around that time, and I just remember. Um, I, I've never been a huge golf guy. I have a great appreciation for it. And I think even more so now than ever where you just remember how golf was back then. And just, I mean, everybody was just a buzz. And so for him to bring the sport to the forefront like that, we really hadn't seen where basketball is basketball, you know, basketball is an American sport yeah. and, and basketball has always been very popular. And, and Michael Jordan was just sort of the prince of basketball and the face of something that was already set in the American culture where well, Tiger changed. brought golf with him to the forefront. Yeah. Golf I think is- Jordan changed how the game was played though. That was, that was the impact thing. It, it was, sure. it was always a big thing, but he changed how the game was. Whereas I, I like you were like Tiger really brought like golf to like the mainstream. Whereas- sure. And, and here's the thing. They're both Nike athletes. Yeah. So well, Nike, fuck you, Phil Knight. Nike knows what they're doing. I have a question though. Do you think that, um, it's really and well Jordan too. Do you really think it's an addiction, or do you think it's like their drive that allowed them that that their drive that uh, pushed them to be great? Well, I think I think one feeds the other, and in Tiger's words, it was an addiction. Oh, okay. he he okay. A, in the first half of this documentary, he says, "I'm addicted to golf." There, there was a great interview. It's brief, and. uh Somebody asked him, Tiger, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? And he'd be like, I definitely wouldn't run as much as I did. And it's like, it just shows like all the fucking drama, the fallout, getting beat up by your wife, the cheating. And the thing he's he's like, yeah, run too much. And it's like, he's just thinking about the career. I'm telling you, it's, this is a fantastic documentary. Like run, like, just like. Well, he, he was, so he was saying that he ran so much that it was actually like fucking up his golf game. Like just running, yeah, like yeah, running, running. Yeah, that yeah. That was the only thing I was worried about. Well, that was the but, one thing he would change if he but, could. But it, no, it's interesting because you just said that like his whole life is surrounded by this sport that his parents kind of like forced it on him, and like he just wanted to get his dick sucked. <laughs> no, he <laughs> did. No, no, no. So, so I, I think in part two they're they're going to go more into the salacious aspect yeah. of, in terms of what the fall for Tiger Woods was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, obviously that certainly mirrored into his playing uh, days because yeah. you know, we went through a, a pretty rough period there. Now he's, he's on his way back to winning majors. But yeah. um, I, I think what the documentary does a really good job is uh, of portraying his relationship with his parents to where, you know, you're really starting to understand the psyche of, of what, you know, 
what we're building towards. Like, Dude, I like obviously, that. you know, all of this is, is, is gotten to a certain point. He had the discipline, mm-hmm. but that takes a price, man. It took oh, yeah. a toll and it took a, it took a big toll on Tiger. Well, it's just like with business too. If you jump into your career, you lose shit yeah. like family time and, and hanging out, and but also back and- to his physical stuff. Cause Tiger really changed the game, uh, with what a golfer supposed to look like. Because uh, Tiger, when he entered the tour, was 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. A few years later, he added 30 pounds of muscle. So he was 185. And, and Tiger was always shredded. Mm-hmm. And so Tiger really changed the game of what golfers were supposed to look like. Because at that time, and I mean, obviously, you know, still pretty close to this today, uh, his biggest uh, opponent was Phil Mickelson. And Phil. Oh, brutal uh, Phil. Phil, I, lo- I love Phil Mickelson because I, I just think naturally he's the most gifted golfer ever. And he was a left-handed golfer. So everyone called him lefty. Tiger's mom was vicious. So we spent a lot of time talking about Tiger's dad, but Tiger's mom was also very vicious. So it's, she called Tiger, uh, she called, excuse me, she called Phil instead of lefty, she called him hefty <laughs> because he was a you know, little yeah. bigger than Tiger. So um, it, it, yeah, it goes all into that. This is a very comprehensive documentary, but I'm telling you, it's all about the human uh, relationships that Tiger had with his parents and then how that sort of, um, built him to who he is today. Are we, are we doing a lot of talking head here? I feel like it's a lot of talking heads. We we do have a lot of talking yeah. heads, but it's a lot of archive footage as well. Right. And the archive footage is, again, this is edited beautifully. All right. That is more golf than I need to talk about for the rest of the year. So let's go ahead <laughs> Same. and end that. <laughs> the movie I watched yesterday. Yeah. For no apparent reason at all. Caddyshack. I was, I was looking... <laughs> Not far removed. <laughs> I was on Amazon Prime, wanted to look up something, um, and I saw <laughs> that this movie was on. I, I'd known about this movie forever. I'm a big Rodney Dangerfield fan, and I've seen a lot of the Rodney Dangerfield movies. I remember when I was a kid, uh, Ladybugs was very big for me. I, I love that Ladybugs. But did you ever see that where he was a, um, a soccer coach for a, a, a girls' soccer team? Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> it's funny because, like, as a childhood, I remember his face a lot. So yeah. I think I've seen his movies, but I never just tied it to. So in like 2000, it. he uh, started a film called My Five Wives, where he plays a uh, giant um, polygamist architect <laughs> Oh, in Los Angeles. And he's got a hot new uh, deal going on in Utah where he's going to buy a bunch of property. That and he's gonna build a ski lodge because that is. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking up pictures here. Um, he's gonna build a, a ski lodge in Utah. Mm-hmm. Now he gets there. His old buddy's there. He's gonna help him out. He's like, "Hey, once I get this, you're gonna be in my developer." He's like, "That's great. Who can I write the check out to?" Well, here's one problem. Um, this is all essentially Mormon territory, and this is uh, archaic. This is the polygamous more. So this is the subsect of the Mormon yeah, religion yeah. in Utah oh, where you yeah, have multiple it's, it's wives. Of, yeah. yeah. So, so it seems a very, I think they're creating their own religion here because it's, it's sort of that, um, Mennonite situation we okay. have here Yeah, where there's a Mennonite village and essentially he had to bid on the property. So he bid on the property. The issue is that there was some gangsters who were building bidding on that property as well. He outbid them. And so Andrew Dice Clay is on Rodney Dangerfield's ass because he's got to get this. Um, he's got to get this property for his boss, played by Jerry Stiller. Right. So we've got Hell Jerry yeah. Stiller, Andrew Dice Clay, and Rodney Dangerfield in this thing. 
uh, Rodney Dangerfield is playing. He can only do Rodney Dangerfield. So he's doing Rodney Dangerfield jokes the whole time. And uh, they're they're in this Mennonite village. I want to play one clip here. I'm trying to pull it up to where the best uh, Rodney Dangerfield joke. I think I've got it right here. And here we go. That guy could be his roommate. The more wives a man has, the more important he is. Even famous Brigham Young was a polygamist. He had 27 wives. Hey, I remember the words of Brigham Young. He said, I don't care how you bring him, but Brigham Young. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's it's a hundred minutes of jokes like that. That is what this movie is. <laughs> Rodney's doing that. I'm telling you, I I really had fun with it. It's a bad movie, but man, the jokes are there's some funny jokes in there. It's a ridiculous premise. Whereas where so Rodney Dangerfield inherit he buys the property, but as a part of that property, he clum, it comes with three wives. Oh, so you buy the property, you buy the wives. <laughs> now he's too. got three three young beautiful wives um, that he's having sex with every day. He actually got a deli counter. Uh, number thing, and he said, oh. "Okay, number one, you coming in, <laughs> boy? I tell you, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's not. <laughs> that's all that is, and I love that shit because Rodney's great. There's also a scene where they get a stunt double uh, skiing as Rodney Dangerfield, and he's doing backflips and oh, everything yeah. else, and Andrew Dice Clay's chasing him on. Oh, what's the jet ski thing over there? <laughs> oh, I'm on a jet ski in the snow over here." <laughs> It's everything I love with all that cheesy shit. So it's you got Andrew Dice Clay chasing Rodney Dangerfield, and then Jerry Stiller shows up in two scenes as a mafioso boss uh, in the back of a limousine. Also, Jerry Stiller has abnormally long arms. He's a <laughs> tiny little man, and he's got these giant arms. It's very disconcerting. But um, yeah, uh, don't watch this, probably. If you do like... You know, those those ridiculous comedies of that era, like Meet Wally Sparks and My Five Wives and all that Rodney shit, then give it a go. And you, I mean, chances are you've already seen it, but uh, I, I had fun with that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I honestly, if you were watching it, I would love to be there. But I, does it have rewatch capability? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> I, um, there, there's some. Uh, sir, oh, and John Panette is in this as well. I totally forgot. The, oh, my God. There's one great scene with John Panette, and I, I honestly wished um, that they would have expanded on that scene a little bit. Because I, it, she pulled up John Panette and Rotten Tomatoes. His highest rated film is The Punisher in 2004 at 28%. And his lowest mm-hmm. rated film is, uh, as Ron, Randy uh, mentioned earlier, My Five Wives <laughs> at zero. Zero percent. This is on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, John Panette, <laughs> do, you, do you know who that is? He was uh, a stand-up comedian. But no he was, idea. He was a stand-up comedian who died several years ago. Uh, very, very obese uh, gentleman um, <laughs> who has a young face. I have been uh, compared to John Panette several times. We'll power through that. Uh, yeah, you do count with that. Thank you so oh, much. <laughs> uh, John Panette was in the finale of the Seinfeld series. Oh, oh who was he's, he? the, he's the guy who's getting robbed on the VH on the camera. Oh. That's John Panette. So John Panette is in this film and he plays sort of the henchman uh, with the banker of the town who's going against who he was with in cahoots with Andrew Dice Clay against Rodney Dangerfield. Very convoluted plot. <laughs> but John Panette, there's a there's a sub story where they go to Las Vegas. And this is where the girls 
get the first taste of the outside world. Oh, no. And so then they 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 fall in love with this feminist, and then they're like, "Oh, we kick him where it hurts." They be, <laughs> they go to this speech, kick him where it hurts, played by Molly Shannon, um, who then later marries Rodney Dangerfield again. Spoiler, overly convoluted. Mm-hmm. But essentially, so they end up at the strip club, and it's an all-male show. And so Rodney Dangerfield sneaks in the club as a male stripper, but dressed up in, like, the Zorro outfit. And then John Panette's trying to chase him. So John Panette comes out on the stage, and all the girls are cheering for him. And then he starts to dance and strip, and it's the best part of the movie. But then they cut. It's like, God damn, you could have put two minutes with this, because he's great. I I miss John Panette. R.I.P. Uh, right. Yeah, 0%. <laughs> so you brought polygamy and golf today. Thank <laughs> Clark. Uh, two subjects we will not need to revisit in all of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are we? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You're like two and a half wines deep. I'm worried. Deep in that pussy. <laughs> That's a cobra drop. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it. All right, so the movie I saw, I'm going to be quick with this. It's called Devil in the Dark. came out in 2017. It's on Amazon Prime. That's Was why that I Donnie Darko? It. What the fuck yeah, is this fake shit? fake Donnie Darko shit. Look, I'm trying to watch more Whoa. horror shit. Whoa. It is fake Donnie Darko. Oh, that is horrible CGI. <laughs> that, is, that is some low-budget Guillermo yeah. del Toro nah, shit. I like him. So, um, oh. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to watch more. I noticed that the horror that I like only comes in before 2000. What? Like what? eight, like nineties, <laughs> like nineties horror or like seventies horror. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't really like horror Ooh. that came out within the last 10 years. Okay. Really? Like, I, I, I You're not watching the right shit then. It, well, maybe I need to watch more good shit. I'm this sure. movie, Challenge, Devil in the Dark. Was not the good shit. So <laughs> I'm gonna read the synopsis real quick. Right. Uh, <laughs> do we have good betting music for him to do this? Yeah. Dun, 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 oh, she dun. got it right there. All right. When okay. Uh, so when two estranged, <laughs> yeah, I'm over here because this one's different. When two estranged siblings go on a family bonding hunting trip, a dark and evil entity, entity from their past stalks them through the countryside. But something from the past is drawing one brother deeper into the woods. A night of unrelenting horror will force the other brother to make the ultimate choice. Um, that was so terrible. This, this lured you in? <laughs> no, no, it did not lure me in. I saw the. I, I, I don't know what. I don't know. I just now, now for our listeners, as you said, ninety nine percent of the movies you watch, you go in completely blind. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I you do. just you didn't even. I didn't, didn't even read. read this no, movie? I didn't read. Yeah. I just saw the title and I was like, "Devil in the Dark." Mm. Oh, no, this looks kind of familiar, but I think it looked familiar, like you said, yeah. because it reminded me of Donnie Darko. Or Was this a Prime? Yes, yeah, on Prime. Okay. So, um, so the, it, at the end of the synopsis, it says like they have to make a choice. There is no choice made. <laughs> um, there is no no choice made. Um, so I read another synopsis that said, "Oh, these two brothers go out on a hunting trip and they have to." Uh, uh, they're burying their dad's ashes because their dad is dead in the story. Uh, that never happened in the movie. <laughs> so I don't know why they have that as, as one of the synopsis. But basically, essentially, you have these two <laughs> brothers who one is like the more like he likes to go hunting and he's like very close uh, to their dad. And the other one, he's like this tech guy who lives in the city, drives a nice and nice ass Porsche, though. Like Ooh, the Porsche. Uh, 9-11? I, I you woke Clark up with that. I think it was, it was, Ooh, it was good. Like, day. It was all black. 
So but, never forget those. <laughs> good day, never forget. Uh, <laughs> so um, so basically, like I don't, I didn't really like the acting because it was like they were like characters. Like the the older brother was like this. <laughs> Um, I'm this woodsy guy, and I go out and hunt, and I and I'll just provide for my family. And, and then, and then the brother, the younger brother, is like, I'm this tech guy. I work in Silicon Valley. I drive this Porsche, and I'm gonna go visit my brother because you know I'm trying to be yeah. So that's the okay. So that's the younger brother right there. So he he had a bad relationship growing up with his dad. And uh, not really bad, but he didn't connect with like the hunting aspect. He wasn't like. You know, he he didn't connect with that. But they but the storytelling aspect is where it lost me because they tried to make it like it was like this traumatic thing. Like his like his dad hated him because he didn't want to hunt. Like he just that's not what he wanted to do. And so the movie doesn't start getting quote unquote scary until about 35 minutes into the film. 35 into the minute. Yeah. Yeah. So like they go out, they basically, the whole movie just follows them going out into this hunting trip because the little brother wanted to like connect with his older brother. Um, and so they basically talk about this backstory of like how he didn't go to his dad's funeral. And it's like having all this like hidden shit, this backstory, like the movie was like 90% backstory, which everything on the front end was just not that interesting. The acting was horrible. The only good thing about this movie was that the older brother who was like the hunter his wife had a fat ass. Okay. And um, you only saw it at one part where she walked, where she stood up and hugged him. Besides that, the, 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 the part of the film where you finally see this creature that's like haunting him. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna spoil this movie. So the brother has like this hit, this dream. That's the reason why he wants to go there. Cause he has like this recurring dream of him as a little kid getting chased by this creature. You, they see this creature who grabs him and takes him into like this room where they have like these antlers that's like holding up, holding him like, like he holds him with these hands. Yeah, there's like a scene of like these antlers. <laughs> I love his that body. image. And uh, and so uh, he gets like possessed by this demon. Um, and so the older brother is no, able to save him. Yeah, the virus <laughs> of of this movie. Now the antler thing. Do we have Hannibal to blame for that? Did I you think ever, so. Did you ever oh, watch yeah. Hannibal? Yeah. Hannibal's got a lot of antler iconography. And then, you know, we get it's Guillermo. It's cool, though. We get, no, it is. And then Del Toro comes with Antler, right? Was that the name of that movie that is never going to come As, out? De- Del Toro produced it, I think. I think okay. that's a, um, oh, God damn it. What's, that, what's that guy's name? Randy, he did Out of the Furnace and um, Crazy Heart. Well, while you're trying to think uh, of that, look at this audience yeah. review. Well, somebody sure did watch NBC's <laughs> Animal. <laughs> yeah. Scott. Um, um, Bayo. Cooper. Scott Cooper. Yeah. He's almost, every one of his movies, I almost like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all, yeah, he's almost there. But out of the but furnace was terrible. I think that's what we're doing here. This almost yeah. looks like an asylum movie that was trying to come out when uh, Del Toro's dropped. And it's like, oh, hey, maybe you're uh, you just got LASIK and you can't tell. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about this movie, it, it, they try to be like, oh, we're doing horror, but we're doing a deeper drama with horror. But it's like the horror wasn't scary, the drama wasn't even interesting, and his wife had a fat ass. That's it. So uh, right. next film, next film. What do you clock in there? You got the five minute clock right? About, about seven. I didn't. Yeah, I was going to rant. Uh, when you drink wine, you lose track of time. Uh, the <laughs> next one, I really like. Okay. Red wine. So, Red wine. <laughs> Thank you for that. So this th- this movie's called. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, 
You know, I didn't know we were actually going to do that. This movie's called Shram. 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 Do you hear the piano in the background yeah. on this video? I did. Where did you get that from? Here you go. Just say it again. Shram. Shram. It's a minute of that. Oh, goodness. All right. So, uh, scram. I'm going to just call it scram. Nope. <laughs> Uh, so this movie is directed by George Butgerid. Jorg. Jorg. Oh Clark, can you please? Some German motherfucker. Clark. Jorg. Um, I, I, Booty. Butgerig. Ooh. Maybe. Ooh, I like that. I, I just committed to that. So I, it's 99% Wait, hold, wrong, but uh, Jorg is right. Give the full name. Jorg Butgerig. Oh, you, you didn't have the passion that you time. Yeah, you didn't have the passion. <laughs> Do you want to read the thing or you want me to read it? Uh, you read it. Read it from As serial killer Lothar Schramm <laughs> lies dying in his own blood, horrific memories of his miserable life of paranoia, self-harm, and rejection flash before his eyes. A tragic look into the mind of a serial killer. Much better than Jasadi earlier. Good yeah. job. Um, so- Schramm. This director, I I found out about this director uh, through Russell because we Do watched. Do we have the correct? Oh, <laughs> that wasn't the drop. <laughs> there we go. Here, the- Shram. <laughs> so yeah, I found out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm adding all this time to my five minutes. Don't tell me I went over five minutes and y'all do this. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I found out about this director because of uh, Russell. We watched his uh, movie called Der Toad's King, and it's like an anthology. Love it. Um, it's an anthology film of like a surrounding death and it's like all these little shorts and I really like the way uh, he told his stories and like his characters because it, it gave like this real gritty feel and his movies make you feel really uncomfortable without like just using like gore porn like he he uses like subtle things that have nothing to do with gore to make you feel the same feelings as the main character. Yeah. So. He ain't shy of gore, though. <laughs> no, he's not shy of gore. Jusadi, I think you're watching too much of this heavy stuff. No, I th- no. I think you need more f- My Five Wives. In yeah, your I do. No, and I was going to click play on that when I was at the <laughs> airport. Uh, but, um, so, uh, Shram, yeah, but, yeah, so, like, you, if I was a serial killer, now, this dude lives a very miserable life. So, let me just give you, like... Mother, I've been there. Is, uh, so, like, I'm going to give you just, like, a play-by-play with his, his daily life. So, he's a cab driver, right? He sits at home, and he does nothing. Then, how so old, his, How old is he, do you think? Is he... he he's, has, like, 43. He's probably... <laughs> I don't know, because um, he's white, so I don't know how white people age. Pay taxes. <laughs> you like that taxes drop. It's good. I don't, I don't know. He's so close to home. Like, he could, he could be 45... But he also could be 25 because I met a dude who was, who's 25 who looks like him. So, But basically... Well, um, how old do you think Chris is on isolation? I thought he was hella young. Yeah. You know God. how old he is, right? Yeah. He's 67 years Goodness. old. Goodness. <laughs> baby face. Um, so, Ain't no baby about that much. <laughs> <laughs> so this motherfucker... So he just sits at home. He has a... He has a uh, he has, his neighbor is a prostitute. Oh. And so... Convenient when she uh, so when she has sex, Go to the bone zone. <laughs> do they trade? Like, I'll give you a ride, you give me a, a ride, just, just know this. they trade rides. This so, is gonna be two hour episodes. So, <laughs> so, so she, she's a prostitute, and he's a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's fun. I don't know. Are you having, I'm, I'm enjoying derailing him. This is dangerous. I don't know. So, uh, this is why it goes on. I know. uh, Randy, please help me. me. Randy's been gone. Randy can't get a word in. He's he's on the other end of the the wire. He can't. uh, He's breaking. Yeah, I've got no control over here, dude. (laughs) He's proving bread right now. Um, All right. So, um, this man, so he has his 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 uh, neighbor is a prostitute, and so when she's having sex with his, her clients, he's over there. He so her vent is like right con- connects to his, and so he listens in on it while he fucks a uh, sex doll. But it's not it's not really a sex doll. <laughs> it's pr- you know like those floaties that they give you when you were oh dude yeah that's a real fetish. They're ma- no no it's not a floaty but the material. Is like a floaty. Oh, so it's plastic. So it's a no, no, no. It's not just like you. He blows it up like a yeah. floaty, but yeah. it's it, it's a woman's breast and then a vagina. Like there's no even no stomach. There's yeah. just that's the OG sex doll, baby. Yeah. Um, but it's not. No, no. Actually, it's not even a vagina. It's just the asshole. Like it's not even. Whoa. It's just a butthole. So he fucks. He fucks. <laughs> he fucks that while he's listening to her having sex. So he has a very interesting life. Um. So uh, it, it it just shows. Would you do that? No. If you had a prostitute Doesn't next door, does that just steam your snatch? <laughs> if you had a girl next door and you're hearing it, what would you do? You wouldn't pull out a floaty. I would just record it and use it in a film. You got like a favorite pillow, or you got a lotion. I'm trying to get a wafu. What's a what's a wafu? A wafu pillow. A wafu maker? No, wa- well, I'm not. <laughs> Clark right. would love that. Now, it's the Asian. It's the anime girl pillow with oh, a big a waifu. Now, yeah, now waifu. let's go back to the to the neighbor that's a sex worker. Yes. Does it ever go into how much she charges for her jobs? It doesn't, but the price it's, was right. A dollar. She has a high price client that wants to do work for her, and he drives her. To this client, he really likes. But he the, fell in love with he her, fell and, love then, with her. and then he asked, wow. and she said, "Fuck no." <laughs> and then, and then he said, "You're a big dick." <laughs> yeah, but, but then he, using all the buttons today. Speaking of dick, uh, he actually does <laughs> cut off his dick in the in the film. I'm just gonna spoil the movie. I know, I know. Uh, so he cut, he cut he does eventually cut off his dick. Well, he doesn't. What cut, is happening? He doesn't right cut off now. his dick. He has an uncircumcised penis. And of course he does. He's in he, Europe. Yeah. And They're so Christians. He, um, so he he takes the foreskin of his dick and nails it to Across. the table. So he nails his foreskin and it looks real as fuck. Um uh, the the part that I really enjoyed of the movie is that these two Christians come to his door preaching the uh uh, preaching the word to him and they want to like sit with him and talk to him about Jesus. So he invites him in and he asks if one wants um some uh some something to drink, uh some liquor. So he takes the drink. So while they're drinking and they're chilling, they bring out the Bible and they're ready to preach to him. He comes up behind them and he slits their throat. Oh god damn. Yeah. And so okay he, and he and he lays on top of aliens from Mexico or outer space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're talking about, you know, horror films of the past decade and you're trying mm-hmm. to watch more horror. Yeah. Are you trying, like, what are you doing? Are you just doing, like, research or are you, like, coming from a fan or is this, like, artistic, like? Well, like, you talking about the reason yeah, why we like, this well, movie? Yeah, like, how come you're, you're diving the, in here? Well, 
this director, I don't know, that watching Dirt Toast King, like, kind of like, it like pulls something out of me. Like, it, it, Whoa. You know well, that yeah. movie, it's got a, a interesting narrative choices. Like, I know yeah. the, the one that I really liked from that short, there's a great found footage one. With oh, the, yeah, yeah. With the, but like, the one that really st- struck me was the um, overpass. There's a bridge. Yeah, that, and the, I really like that one too. The whole short is just shots of the bridge. It, they're hard cuts. Are you under the bridge? Is Anthony under, Kiedis there? Yeah, and the whole thing, they're just saying names, people names. And after like a minute, you're like, oh, fuck, I know what this is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's such an interesting way to tell a story. Yeah. So did you jump into this movie hoping you'd come out with like, you know, a narrative epiphany or um, like, I, were you I, looking for foreskin getting nailed to a table? <laughs> no, I like, I, I think um, the one, I really liked that one. I, I really liked the other short that he had on there where it was like, he, there was no dialogue, but you saw this guy like rolling around on the ground screaming yeah. and hitting his head against the wall. <laughs> and, uh, there. Um, <laughs> and so like, even without having any backstory on that, you, you can kind of understand, like, like, you just only look at that and be like, damn, he must be going through some fucked up shit for yeah. him to be in that moment. And I think that director does a good job of, like, showing, like, the agony that, like, the where, like, the human can go through. Like, the fucked up parts in your mind that you can go through if you're dealing with extreme stress. So, to me, watching this movie, you you really get, like, it wasn't just like, oh, like, this guy's just killing people. You saw, like, his life and you're like, damn, no wonder why he kills people because he has nothing else going on in his life. Yeah. And so you get cuts, you get some cuts of his backstory of like, I, I guess he used to be a runner. So you get like slow-mo footage of like people running, but just their legs. Oh. And then you see him and then you just hear out like this, this repeat audio playback of like this, of him breathing heavy. And then, and it's weird too, because certain parts of the movie, he has a prosthetic leg, but then other parts he doesn't. I got to check it out. I haven't watched it yet. And it's, it's, it's so, it's like really weird, but then it, it, it also, it, from the perspective of like, you're also watching this movie from his perspective of him dead on the floor because yeah, yeah. he literally slips on a bucket. He's, he's painting the wall after he killed these Christians. Yeah. And he slipped on the paint and falls to the ground and, and is dead. That's a lot of Sasquatch, Jizz. <laughs> he, he's a really bleak filmmaker. And I think, yeah, yeah. you know, Der Toad's King, the most interesting thing about that is the anthology is framed by Days of the Week. Exactly. And it, it's yeah. so bleak and like cynical. I don't know. I'm glad you're into it. I love it. Like, I, like it's, it's changed how I feel, like my approach to filmmaking. And I want to, I want to make shit like that. Like, I want to make <sighs> shit like, not like exactly like as far as like how he did it, obviously adding my own style, but it, it it's definitely inspiration on how I want to approach filmmaking. So that's why I, All right. I chose. I think, know, I think you'll be into the movie that uh, me and Clark are going to cover then uh, as we pivot away from you. Thank you. <laughs> no, fuck y'all. Y'all's, y'all's turning me up. Y'all, you guys was, was I couldn't even explain it because you want to add all the sound bites. <laughs> let, me, let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. In life, you've got the puppet and you got the strings pulling the puppet. You're the puppet in this story. <laughs> You're the creepy Clark. <laughs> I'm the puppet master. Yeah. Russell, you're good. All right. Um, so extreme gore. I'm going to use that as a good segue as uh, I think last week we teased. Was it last week? It might have been. Fuck. It might have been like three weeks ago. We mentioned. Uh, I don't know how we got no on the topic. Language. We were talking about the virus, but we got on the topic of uh, Cat 3. 
Yeah. The Hong Kong genre of extreme cat three fever. Yeah. <laughs> so category three films, they're adult. If you if you talked about the triad, if you had um, adult, like, nudity, rated? yeah, it's like R, but it but it carried R is an adult. What is R? Seventeen. Oh, really? I don't know it's our rating well, system. Well, I, I, it's yes. In in one aspect, Cat Three, it would be the American equivalent to R. However, I think there's an extra weightedness to Cat Three opposed to what the American R rating is. So there's there's a broad. So the thing about the Cat 3 thing is it's adult, but the parameters were very wide. It was basically anything, if you mention the triad, have nudity or violence, you're in Cat 3 now. But if you couldn't have real sex, that was so, it. So Hong Kong is interesting yeah. because just like in Hong Kong and Japan, I was, I, I was also been on a binge on watching Dragon Ball. So I watched like okay. the first two seasons. Dragon Ball has <laughs> pedophilia, uh-huh. rape, like date were you rate. watching it? Su- were you watching it subtitled or dubbed? No, it was dubbed, but it was still it still had it was still like the uncut, the original, like all the shit. It, I just don't feel like reading it's, all the shit. It's they changed it. The story is different. No, no, it's not. They, it you still see the same images. I have a Funimation the, subscription. The context is different. No, no. The, so because it's still the same thing. The the problem is uh, here. Boma shows. Randy, gonna, how you doing? <laughs> Boma shows Goku her so her what push- showed a who. Bump this girl, this this fifteen year old girl shows this eleven year old boy so, her vagina. No, Shadi, it's been great having you here. But I'm, uh, I'm gonna blow your mind here. Bitch. I'm gonna blow your mind. Now, Goku is actually kind of a villain, and the whole purpose of the story is he is always as powerful as he is by the end. Because you know, it's supposed to end yeah. with Frieza, mm-hmm. except. In the American one, they adjusted it to fit a more standard protagonist role, mm-hmm. so they make him dumb. And he's kind of like, oh, what's going on? He's not like that. He could have stopped it from the beginning, but he's he's got a complicated uh, egomania going on, and he's a fucking dick. And it's we could talk a lot more about that at length, because I was kind of like, I'm like, dude, Goku's tight. And it's like, no. He he's like a villain. He's a villain. So like many that. people I'm die interest- in that show. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. I was just saying that like it's interesting because when you watch it now, it's like this shit is hell in a pro- like <laughs> this chick like every like the what was it Master Roshi? This motherfucker, his whole thing is like I need to see a I need to grab some ass. Like every other episode, he's trying to grab a booty or some titties. All right, Clark, you in? Grabbing booties and titties? Yes, with consent. Sure. Any anytime he's aroused, his nose starts bleeding. <laughs> I've yeah. been there. There's a, there's a lot of tropes. Okay, yeah. now, right. untold yeah, story. Blood, blood tends to go to other PG. places outside of my dick when I do <laughs> Like your ears. Yes. Okay. You be shitting blood? And my are? stool. You be shitting blood? Well, well that's Oh, you're right. I meant to talk about that first. Think, okay, Oxana reminded you me. You eat Chipotle? <laughs> Dude, yeah. he's been ordering that all week. Ugh. No, here's the thing. Sometimes you just. Mexican food. I understand that, but sometimes <laughs> I just want the Chipotle shit. Yeah, they got Did cauliflower rice now too. I get a bowl. Okay, I get a bi- I get a thing that's of fine. the chips, and I dip the chips in the I bowl. Do too. It's very I do. satisfactory. I like that. Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah, don't. Yeah. Okay, that's gross. All right, <laughs> now, but you know what? I'm sorry. Before we go into the the film, I was pivoting into. I actually, uh, I'm very hungry. I briefly Me wanted to Same. mention. Um, <laughs> you hungry too, Randy? Yep. What you trying to eat? <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out in like two hours. <laughs> Hey, have yeah. you been to Hot Boys? It's right around the corner from your house. Hot Boys. I haven't. I need to, though. Go. It's good as fuck. It's spicy, though. 
What they got? Like what kind of food? Uh, they chicken sandwiches. Hot boys. Hot boys, but mm-hmm. it, it's spicy. Like their mild is spicy, so they're like spicy is spicy. Well, that's fun. very confusing, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't hold back. Now, not the hot boys. Not the hot boys. Hot no, boys. Hot, hot boys. boys. The hot boys oh are coming with I thought you. you was, I thought you was going to sing the Lil Wayne and Birdman hot boys. Yeah, you thought I was going to sing the Lil Wayne and Birdman? I don't know. You come out of the woodworks with some shit sometimes. That is true. I exactly. do have some deep cuts. I yeah. thought he said Lil Wayne and Burma. Let me tell you something right now. I can do I can do all of Rapper's Delight right now. All right. Go ahead. Do it. You, it's five minutes long. And? Oh. Randy's already cleared his schedule for All two right. more hours, so <laughs> I didn't say I cleared it. I just said it's going to take that long. Okay, so I've been uh, I've been on a um, I lost my segue. Uh, I'm going to talk about a film that everybody on Instagram hated, and uh, it was great. I've never I've never posted a, a DVD that just got instant hate, where people are just like, "Shit!" Oh, go back, go back. One comment is Ugh. just uh, BMW motorcycle. I bought this movie, and I was excited. I went over to my friend's house. We sat down to watch it, and by the end of it, I said, "Hey, you just got a new movie," and I left it there. And I'm talking about 1975 Snuff. Ooh, it's a, a I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, although I do think something very important came out of this film. Um, Snuff is a film made by Michael Finley. He, I guess there was, there were audio issues with the film. The actual film is about a um, pseudo Manson cult. It, it's, we got Manson exploitation going on here with biker gangs mashed in. There's a lot of naked women. It's, it is painfully boring. And I mean, from like a modern standpoint, it's incredibly fucking boring. The reason I wanted to talk about it, the last, so they, they were having Foley issues and I guess they couldn't save the very end of the film. So it looked like they was about to get canned, but they had all this footage. So what they did is they put it together and they filmed a new ending. Now the movie was snuff and they're trying to say that all the murders in this film are real. It's clear they're not yet in 1975, they filmed what I don't think had ever been done before where there was a diegetic shot. So we leave the movie and we're, we're now on set. What's diegetic mean? Um, it's, uh, Oxana, you want to pull, somebody pull up that definition. I don't want to try and now we, we have a camera that is diegetic. That's a church of Scientology. <laughs> it essentially uh, means it exists within the film. I think I could not find the words to say that. So Dianetics. it turns into an in-world camera thing. So we leave the movie and we are now on set of the movie. So it breaks the fourth wall? Yeah. But it's weird because now there's a lot of dialogue for it and people kind of know what's happening. But at that time, it's just a, it's a hard cut. And now we're looking at the bed, but we see the lighting rigs and everything. And there's, there's no clear uh, lead. Oh, is it like that movie, uh, fucking Angst? Oh, kinda. That's a little bit different, though, because we're in a movie theater. Yeah. This one is like we're on set, okay. and also, you know, they promoted this movie as real murder, mm. and it's like, and it ain't real. You know what I mean? We're watching a movie. How do you know? But now it's very clear. But okay. now at the end of the movie, when we make this cut, the film language completely changes, and I don't think people had the words like I was given horror fan shit for shit, earlier. Dude. And it's just, but it's so different. And it's kind of like you're lost as an audience member. And you're like, what are we doing? And there's audio and there's people standing around and a guy walks up to a girl and he's like, Hey, um, you want to go get like food after this or something? And she's like, yeah, sure. And he's just like, Oh, Hey, um, 
yeah, the scene's like, it's pretty nice out here. And like, he's just small chatting her. He starts kissing her. And she's like, what are you doing? There are people around here. It's like, they're going to clear out. They're going to clear out. So he starts making out with her. And all the people on set kind of come to life. Like one of the girls moves over Whoa, there. She looks the like Michelle Trechtenberg. Now, uh, another one, the camera moves in. Like we go to handheld and they're like filming. Now, uh, some of the cuts break what they're doing. Like there are camera edits that are clearly like there was no camera there, like in world. Mm-hmm. But there's a handheld camera moving around. Eventually, she she looks up from kissing him and she's like, wait, what the hell? You're filming me. And he pushes her on the bed. And he starts pinning her down. He's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? She starts screaming. And we go into like fucking Stephen Byro unearthed territory as he pins her down and essentially like starts raping her. Except go to the bone zone. there's really no penetration. What he does, he, he clips off one of her fingers and it's, there's no cut. Oh, then we go around, dude, finger. they cut her stomach open. They slit her through. And it's like, People at the time, uh, the feminist groups were up in arms and they were like fucking pissed. And they're like, well, it's not real. It's not real. Even though we promote it as real. And then it became this conundrum where it's like, you sold it as real. So now if people had never imagined that this could really happen on film, now they're thinking about it. And you've done women a disservice forever. And it turned into this giant controversy when really it was just a very minuscule trash film. Mm -hmm. But when you watch it now, it's like, fuck, they really laid the groundwork for found footage horror like just the language changing is it's it's worth it now everybody when i when i post that thing people are just like fuck this movie it's boring is this an american production yeah i'm pretty sure i um again it is incredibly boring for the first 90 minutes but when you get into that is it still banned in new york i don't know <laughs> i don't i can't imagine it being banned anyway uh, let's go to our um in network yeah. new york expert randy michael stat randy Still banned, and I would say if it takes ninety minutes for a movie to get good, it's not good. Ninety percent of it. I think it's actually what we're looking at ninety minutes. I think runtime, so about you know eighty. He's and again, Giuliani. I would say we got a Citizen Kane thing going on here, where it's not good, but it's important. Okay, let's take oh. it. <laughs> let's take it a second. All right, now I'll pivot back in. Uh, we were talking about Cat Three. Um, again, me and Clark, we sat down. Cat Three and, fever. Um, this. Second guest we ever had on this show, uh, Kaja Ram, yes. uh, still my close friend. I love you, Kaja. I don't know if you listen, whatever. Kaja, I also love uh, About 15 years ago, I came over to his house and he had Kaja, rented out of your turn. Kaja, I love you too. I don't, I don't know who you are. But <laughs> you haven't met? Nah. Okay. Now, 15 years ago, I came <laughs> over. Now, Kaja used to, he was to worship Asian cinema, especially like Japanese. And he would always go to like the weird foreign video rental places. And one day he came over and he had a horror movie. And uh, the only thing I remembered was it was violent in a way I had never experienced and that a woman was penetrated with chopsticks. And I just remember being like, whoa, what the fuck? A lot of chopsticks. And here's the thing. Oh, more than two? At the time. Oh, yeah. This was not a single serving, friend. I, I newly was, I was newly calling myself like a horror guy. And I was kind of like, where the fuck do you pull this shit from? Like, I, I was floored. At the time, I was managing a roundtable, and I was there, and I was telling people about it. I was at a roundtable. Fucking great, because that pizza cost too much money. I think the three friends did about 15 minutes on It is expensive. But it's good ingredients. I like like roundtable. Very fresh. Every day, we got got fresh ingredients. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the owner said, 
hey, I know you're all eating for free. He said, what, I don't want you to do is drinking for free because they had tap yeah, beer. Yeah, yeah um, Phil Andre, love you too. Now, I was telling people about this movie where they were killing people and putting them in pork buns. And at the time, our mm. delivery driver had just come back in from a, a, a ride. And he said, oh, that shit's real. Now, our delivery driver was named Hao. He was a big Chinese dude who had just like moved here and he went that shit's real they caught him because he was dumping the bodies in a water tower and everybody in the small town started getting sick and i went what that's fucking real he was making pork buns out of people out of people now how how how's business I, I, did, did people didn't good? complain i don't think they got exotic meats out there when <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big pork bun fan Me oh, it's, you're it's, it's too much bun it's too much bun I, you got to get the proportions. What's right. your What's your take on pot stickers? No, I love I love a dumpling. I yeah. love a pot sticker. No, no y'all are fucking stupid. <laughs> Pork buns are amazing. I don't like the clear rice shit. Yeah, me neither. That that gel shit's a little weird. Randy, uh, what's your thoughts? Like I had some shrimp dumplings the other day. Randy, I thought we were talking about like the steamed pork buns. We are talking yeah, about that. I'm just talking about like dumplings in general. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you I like fuck them? with steamed pork buns. They're good, dude. I would also eat a dumpling too with either of you, Randy. I'll fuck with. Why? It's too much bun, man. Nah. Yeah, it's too much Says bun. Says Mr. Waffle King over here. Waffles is different. Waffles are completely different. <laughs> Your waffle king It's a stupid. texture. You get <laughs> No, no, no. Let me explain something to you. I get a I, I make the, the batter a little thin because I like a thin crispy waffle. Thank you so much. Okay. Now I like the thick waffle. I like the Belgian. I don't I like, like the Belgian. Belgian. I, I, I love much. Belgium. Don't like the Belgian waffle. I, I put a little, yeah, it, it turns it gives, into dessert. It gives you enough syrup. Like, I don't like putting a lot of syrup, but once you fill up those pockets, you're good. <laughs> They're like me. Deep pockets, baby. Yeah. Is that a money thing? Yeah. The price was right. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah, worked really well. <laughs> no wonder you're talking about golf you documentaries. The, yeah, you should play that. All right. Uh, we have a uh, so suggestion un- box. Please yeah. <laughs> fill it out. So the untold story. I don't think we've said the name. I'm trying one. to get there. All right. All right. Now, 15 years later, I, picture, I don't know yeah. how, but it came up on the show. And uh, I, I, told, I, I told all you, you beautiful listeners out there that I would try and get Clark to watch it. And I did. And here's the thing. I didn't remember the film very well. And it, we had just come off of Charlotte's Net. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like the only film that might be more brutal, you know, I might undercut it. And uh, I think it, I think oh, it paid no. off. The they got kids in this movie. Oh, <laughs> stay tuned. There's a kid decapitation in the film. Oh no. <laughs> Josadi, there's now, a lot going on. Here, here's the thing. It's a like, now I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Blu-ray. Now unearth put this out and it is, Maybe the best release I've seen as far as just being a legitimate, complete, great extras. Packaging is beautiful. There's a full documentary, beautiful slipcover. The film looks great. and um, Excellent transfer. You know, Anthony Wong, he, the director here, or the, uh, the lead actor, yeah. he, in a documentary that we'll talk about in a minute, has this little moment where he talks about the scene where he kills the kids because I believe there's five of them. And I believe he actually uh, brutalizes their mom in front of them, too. Now, he talks about where he had to go mentally to film that. And it might be one of the best talking head moment documentaries I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'll talk more about that later. Um, Clark, you, you hung out, though. And I, I, was, I got a little worried when the children showed up because I know you're a fan of kids. 
The movie? <laughs> yes. I am. Yeah, I like um, that movie. Okay. They, show, they showed that movie to us in high school. So Scared I, straight. That's the program. Yeah. I sort of went in, you know, with an expectation. And uh, I, I think that the ground had been set. And I, I think that also you had gotten the word out. It's like, hey, I'm going to make Clark watch yeah. this Cat 3 film. Um which I am familiar with Cat 3 films, and I think I've seen a few, but I had not seen this one. And I had known that you had been talking about this one for a while with the dumplings and whatnot, uh, and that it was going to be rather extreme. Um, so I prepared the best way I knew possible, is that that was uh, to separate myself uh, from this plane of existence we have now, and uh, went outside and uh, smoked a little jay. And then, I would imagine that would make it way fucking worse, though. Maybe it did. Who knows? <laughs> who, who can tell? I would tell you that I, I saw it sort of telegraphs the murder of the children. So I had, and believe me, before we get to that point, a whole lot of other shit happens. So it sort of sets the ground for that where you're like, okay, with ev- anything is up for grabs at this point. So just be prepared. And I, I think that, and I, again, in the documentary that Russell's going to talk about here later, um, there's a, a film critic who does a, a very good job of explaining his first viewing experience and his second viewing experience of this film. And I think that I would maybe fall in line with his um, understanding of everything because you, you're sort of overwhelmed by everything to where it doesn't fully click with you. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, that wasn't that bad. So. Yeah. There's a lot that happens. The like, story, the story, it, there's, it's an economic thing where we have a dude running the store and he's our protagonist, but a he's, restaurant. he's clearly the villain and he's unhinged. And again, um, dude, Anthony, it's just the acting has no right being that good in a film this brutal. Especially paired with the police department that is portrayed in this film that comes in a complete slapstick sort of um mood that is set like these cops are idiots it's police academy a hundred percent it's police academy i mean it is that slapstick broad type of humor and the police chief always comes in with a new hooker well the police chief's like a movie star yeah and then there's the tomboy girl and then there's like the cool wannabe gangster dirty cop who's always hitting on the hooker that the star brings in yeah and it's you know and he's he's always combing his buzz cut. And wait, yeah. wait, hold on. Can I can I say like a quick five seconds? Go for it. So when we were filming on Kentucky, we have a scene where one of the actors has to stri- strip down to their boxers and run. Uh, they're running from uh, one of the people. <laughs> so we in the middle of fucking Kentucky, right? Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. We had to film a scene where he was running. So we filmed it already and we were already wrapping up. And so we were across the street. So we're just getting a wide shot. And so after we wrapped up, we're like, okay, cool. And so the guy, the actor, like he was still like trying to put on his clothes. A police officer drove past, drove past and then did a U-turn to come back to talk to them. was like, oh shit. Mind you, the cameras already put away because it was already across the street by the car. They were across, you know, they were across the street. So the police officer comes up to talk to them, not us, because they didn't even see us filming. And so he's in his boxers and the cop pulls up and asks, what are y'all? What are y'all doing? I can, so the whole I'm still holding up the the boom mic so I can hear their conversation oh. from across the street. So he's like, "What are you, What are y'all doing?" And 
And then the actor is like, oh, uh, we're, we're shooting a short film. <laughs> but there's no cameras, no nothing around. <laughs> and you just, it's, it's two kids, it's uh, the two actors, and they're they're young. They they look young. We purposely, like, they're like 18, 19, but they look younger than that. So oh, <laughs> you just no. see these two kids. <laughs> Did, do you have the audio? Did you save it? No, I, I didn't record the audio. I was just oh, listening to them. But it was just, it was just so funny because this, this guy, he has like this military cut and he's like, what are y'all doing? He's like, we're foot shooting a short film and he's just looking at him and he just drives off. Like, oh, he left him. Yeah, he just okay. left. That's good. But it's like, you didn't see any camera or nothing. You just see this half naked boy. <laughs> so what All did right. that have to do with what we were talking about? When you said cops, when you just said cops, oh. I just thought, yeah. <laughs> That's a no, good story. No, for, <laughs> That's for, a good story. For a framing reference, um, it's a lot like The Last House on the Left where we have protagonists who are villains we have cops who are inept and they're you know the the backing is comedy there's comedic music they're goofballs they can't get anything done which kind of emphasizes how bleak this this is gonna get but in untold story by the third act a lot like last house on the left our perspective kind of flips as um our lead starts being the subject of cruel and inhuman punishment yeah this film is unrelenting and we do a non-linear thing here i think to to help with the progression of the plot and also to not totally be sympathetic like while we were watching this movie i kept asking clark are they doing too much does he deserve this and clark just kept saying fuck yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the, the actor is getting brutally beaten and russ keeps saying does he deserve this i'm like yeah, yeah no question <laughs> now i will tell you I totally had forgotten that at the end of this movie, our, our lead, who uh, love him or hate him by this point, tries to kill himself. And there's one thing oh. in film I can't do. I, I, I am with you. It's the wrist. I don't. Well, yeah. I anytime anytime you don't, I you see don't like that? the I slitting of the wrist, I, I can't. Yeah, I get weak here. I, I don't like blood, first of all. And especially right. like coming straight from the wrist, it, it, it does genuinely bother me. So that, that's this, your thing. There was a, well, I have several. It, well, also, it's again, this film has no right being this beautiful, this well acted. And then when you see a dude cutting out his wrist with his teeth and ripping his artery out with his, yeah, he's pulling his arteries it out. It looks with his teeth fantastic. If you're if you're in this kind of kick right now and you're yeah. in the foreskin getting hammered to the table, yeah, let's we got to have some cat three parties. Doesn't mean like I don't know. It, it's it's interesting hearing people's like thing of like oh I don't like like. Yeah, it is weird, especially yeah. after coming off a true now, let's go murders. Back. And- um, there, there are two scenes I'd like to talk about. We'll start with the chopstick scene. Okay. It is a <laughs> handful of chopsticks he's got. I mean, the, the circumference. How big of a hand are we think we're talking? The, the circumference about like this. Okay, so if full you walk into a restaurant. And he jams it. It's like if you had a mug full of straws, uh-huh. you know, and people were supposed to take a straw. Yeah. It's yeah. like that, all chopsticks. He took them all. And he jams it into her open vaginal cap. Now, what kind of chopsticks are we talking Wood. Wooden, real deal yeah, chopsticks. Yeah. But like, are they the ones that you split out or are they I think kind so. of separate? No, I think they're the ones you split. <laughs> the reason, I, I think the they were separate. Why, I think they were separate. The reason why I'm saying that is because the ones that you like have to break yourself, that's splinter tear. Oh, these, fuck these, yeah. These look like kebab fucking real deal sticks. So they're already like uh, smoothed down and everything. Let me tell you something. Mm. If you had a pussy... <laughs> You wouldn't want all these. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. That, that one hurt. And then I, I'll tell you, 
the most impressive scene in this is the fire scene. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. Yeah, now, they had I, had seen, I had seen, I had, no, Jasadi, if you see this movie, you need to see it for this, for what they do with the fire. So towards the beginning of the film, and I actually knew about this scene. I had seen, I maybe th- think they showed this on, um, what's that YouTube video, guys? We, oh, the special maybe. effect guys. Yeah, yeah. Because I have seen videos of like, how the hell did they pull this off? To where the whole room is on fire, and we see a static shot of this guy on fire for 15 seconds. Damn. He's crawling on the ground. Damn. I mean, it you, is. You know what? I don't think it was that scene that you saw. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Corridor Crew. Yeah. They did one with the um, the thing, the, the original one, and they also have an incredible fire scene in that. Mm-hmm. Very similar in, like, just pure hell inferno. Um, there, there was another torture that they did. So part of this movie, they're going to sleep deprive our uh, protagonist and uh, the nurse who's fed up with him because he's a vile human. She starts injecting water in him and we're like, wow. dude, that's going to kill him. She does it right under the skin. On that his, kills you? On his, well, if you get like water or air in your veins, it's bad. it goes to your bad. brain. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, fuck. It, it could Wait, kill that you. Was in the, that was in the Omen. Oh, I, oh, it was. The was remake it? Omen. So that, yeah. they're injecting water into his back just under the skin uh-huh. so that if he tries to lay down, it would hurt. Giant water blisters. Ooh. Dude, it, it's great. And again, coming off of like Charlotte's Net, which was real, you know, chainsaw to the throat. This, I had a more verbal reaction to this when homie takes a fucking soda can opener in, to his wrist. Oh man, I, I can't fuck with that. I, it's, did you enjoy it, Clark? It's like, wild. It's 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 insane. Uh, I mean, look, yeah. Short answer, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that I, maybe I would venture into it again. Um, Easy watch. Because again, <laughs> you say that, it's but entertaining. like it is entertaining yeah. because uh, Anthony Wong is just incredible in this. And um, you know, look, some vile, vile things. And you know, yes, he he does take out. I think six children. Uh, one by one. Is is this uh is this in like a Serbian film type territory? Well, they're different in approach. They, they're different. They're different conversations. So, and again, I I think maybe an untold story could tap into uh politics that maybe we aren't aware of. I I think anytime you venture into foreign film like that, that's certainly an undertone that maybe we can't catch. That's a that was a really interesting question. I have to think about that. The thing about a Serbian film is that's a a art um expressing a frustration with their government yeah. because that film will never play in Serbia. So when and they call it a Serbian film so that it can never be removed from the country. When we yeah. went to Los Angeles to see uh, was it the 10th anniversary and the re-release oh, when, again, when when Unearth- Miro acquired it? Yeah. As Unearthed, the director of the film was there. Okay. And then he said that essentially the purpose of the film is that I wanted to make a movie to where in Serbia, as soon as you're born, they fuck you. Wait, you're what? you're Wait. fucked as soon as you're born. So therefore, that is where the newborn porn aspect of Serbian film comes into, is that yeah. everything ties back to the political state of Serbia. Oh, okay, okay. Where I don't think necessarily we get that with an untold story. Um, however, you know, I, well, I think ultimately maybe we do, because again, we're going into, you know, uh, and I, this falls more into the conversation that we may have later with the documentary that, uh, 
Russell and Oksana watched and I caught a little bit of it to where, you know, the polar opposites of where we are politically between China, Hong Kong and Japan to where, you know, we sort of bleed into that with the cat three films, but not necessarily to that of the Serbian film degree. Now, you know what? Let's just use that as a pivot. Um, So on the Blu-ray, there's a full length documentary about uh, the category three films. It's called category three, the untold story of Hong Kong exploitation. cinema. I'm sorry. Why is it called category three? It's just a rating so, system. So category one's like G and PG. Category two oh, is PG thirteen. So the, then there's China's, category. That's China's rating system. It's Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Oh, Hong Kong. Now it, this is back when it was still a colony of Britain. So oh. that's why. So I had never known this, and it's actually super interesting now, just because of the the current global politics with like China mm-hmm. and what's going on with Hong Kong. Yeah. So uh, through the nineties up to ninety seven, where um. China took control over Hong Kong again. Mm. Their, the rating system was category three. And again, don't mention the triad, violence, nudity, all the way to no real sex. In, in between those two things, everything was a go. Uh-huh. So untold story is kind of like, how far can we go? Yeah. Like, let's fucking do it. And you get a lot of like political undertones. And I'm not even going to try and broach right now. That's a whole nother podcast but the documentary now i didn't know a lot about it and everything i just said it kind of came from there but it opens up it's a talking head documentary and it opens up with the history of basically what i was talking about just now then we pivot into a kind of recommendation area and i think that's where clark left and i get it like you know they kind of just hit all the big notes like they talk a lot about untold story and they have interviews with uh, anthony wong and it's actually, it's really good. But then we pivot into the post 97 era. So when China took over, they actually talk about the, the indie market and what happened. And it's fucking bleak. A lot of people, they talk a lot about um, Jackie Chan and directors and how they all just kind of went to China and China didn't have category three. They just had, if you want a movie to come out in our country, here are the rules you have to abide by. So you get Jackie Chan, who was, you know, he was a category three guy. He was category three? Yeah, because a lot of the, dude, um, can you look that up? I, How is he category three? You don't do nothing. I'm he sure you've seen some of them. Fun. Because, again, it's violence and it's just adult filmmaking. He had his dick out. Was it police He had talk? his dick out? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which rush hour is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, so, but again. Rush hour two and a half. <laughs> now, if Come you. Come <laughs> Now, if you follow Jackie Chan, you know he is very pro-China. He comes he out, is? yeah, big time, big time. He he He's fell in line. Big government, you know, it's hard to tell what people really think, but he's been going along with it through the whole thing. Even doing the Hong Kong thing. Oh, dude, he's he's got so much money, so many children. Yeah, he actually came out against Hong Kong when people were standing up for it. Oh yeah, he came out, yeah, pro-China. Again, I don't want to get too much into that. What do you mean? All right. Don't do not bait him. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know. He's a nationalist. He's a huge star. He makes so much money in that. So again, you know, the market, you get multiple billions of people when you make a movie. And then Hong Kong turned into this like little underground thing where you couldn't get any funding. I mean, they're talking about the untold story and how that's like a $3 million movie. Mm -hmm. They're like, you can't make that back. 
So again, they go into how the market shifted. They go into like new Hong Kong cinema. And then at the very end, they start talking about how South Korea kind of turned into a, hey, come over here. Like, if you want to make these movies, we can do it. And they they start talking a little bit about old boy and stuff. And they're like, here's where here's where that culture moved. So South Korea, is it more lenient? It, they allow you to do They were talking shit? about how the government would actually go 50-50 on a lot of movies. Yeah. And would just be like, hey, man, make your film. Yeah. So I it was it's really interesting. And again, Steven, dude, Byro, thank you for including it. I don't know if Unearth had anything to do with the production of that documentary. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. But I am not used to grabbing an unearthed film and then having shit like a commentary track for a movie like, you know, Untold Story alongside a full-length documentary on the culture. Yeah, with Unearth, we're typically accustomed to having um, special features, such as a guy <laughs> cut a uh, fuck a car with an uncut <laughs> European dick. Wait, oh, yeah, you played that shit at the fucking of. Yeah, and you loved it. I no, remember. I did not love it. Dude. I did not. I, <laughs> I was Oksana, very traumatized. I was up, like, what the fuck is this? Pull up his letterbox. <laughs> I was very traumatized. No, no, just thought he gave that five on letterbox. Pull it up. That's a, he didn't have a letterbox. Of course, that shit was <laughs> that that made the whole festival very chaotic. I remember that day. Dude, I, actually, I missed that. Festival I wish. No, what made the festival very chaotic is that one of the uh, patrons of our film festival said, "Yeah, that didn't even look like a guy supposed to be fucking a car." Like, That's that not what he said. What did he say? He said, "I've seen a dude fuck a car. Yeah. That was not sexy." <laughs> <laughs> The Travis Bickle looking motherfucker. Oh my, dude, he's tight. You know, I, I, you know, car sex is really the um the dot on the exclamation mark. I we created a film fest that I would have loved to gone to, if a film programmer came out and said, "Hey, we apologize for this one, but we got to show it. Nobody else is ever going to show this." Well, the thing, the most the disturbing thing besides him putting his dick on a car was the fact that the dude that was filming himself looks like the Santa Barbara mass killer. Uh, oh, the, the, yeah, what? the killer. Okay, can you pull up the Santa Barbara? What the hell is the, the Santa, Santa Barbara mass killer? He the he went to Santa, Santa Barbara? Did he only murder in Catholic churches? Mass murder? Look. Watch. Dude, that's good. I like that. Inside Santa Barbara's killer. Manif- yeah, that dude. Killer's Manifesto, ABC News. All right. The, him. Oh, he does look like yeah, him. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I thought it, I thought it was him. Oh, it was just creepy. I mean, that just adds another layer of uh, enjoyment. Also, you know, again, the yeah, car that, sex, yeah, it, it didn't look that enjoyable. He's just like rubbing against the steering wheel and shit. I'll and- tell you something. Nice penis. <laughs> <laughs> no complaints here. Shout out to you, out Santa of, Barbara out Killer. Out what, do you, what do you score it? Out car of five? sex? Uh, the Zero. penis. <laughs> oh, the penis? Oh, that's, that's a four and a half. Four and a half. Now, as a car enthusiast, Randy, I thought you might have, uh, you know. Randy left Randy's again. Been gone. I'm here. I didn't hear you. There's just too much talking at once. <laughs> what? Uh, what are you? Do not. No. All right. I haven't seen the so penis, but I rated a four. We have. We have one we more go. film to talk about. Um, we do. That, yes, we do. That is the film uh, that we talked to our guest this week. Now we had a sort of a truncated um, interview with our guest. I believe we talked to him for 18 or 19 or so minutes. Uh, Stephen Kostansky. Um, sometimes when we are trying to, uh, acquire talent to talk to, uh, we have to go through different agencies and publicists, and this is one of those occasions. So, uh, sometimes we are given certain parameters 
um, and that would include a time frame. So we only had a few minutes to talk to Stephen um, as he was doing his uh, press junket. So uh, we caught about 20 minutes with him. So that is what you will hear at the end of this episode, um, our 20-minute interview with Stephen. I uh, will tell you that we are trying to work out a separate interview. Stephen seems down. Um, so we'll try to get a more in-depth talk with Stephen as um, we had a lot of things to talk about. Stephen as uh, one of the co-directors of The Void, which came out a few years ago. He also directed uh, the triumphant return of the Leprechaun series, Leprechaun Returns, uh, which was a sci-fi production. Uh, just how to check out Leprechaun Returns. I mean, I, I, mean I watched Leprechaun in the hood, but I'm, I'm down <laughs> anywhere else. Leprechaun and, Returns is really good. Yeah. I actually I reached out to Stephen like a year ago trying to get him on the show, and he agreed. Yeah, and but he was like, "Oh, I'm going into pre-production," and I think it was for Psycho Gorman. And so uh, we will spend some time now talking about his newest film, Psycho Gorman, uh, which by the time this episode comes out, it should be out for release. Is that right, Oksana? The day after, yeah. So uh, it'll come out on Friday. So check out Psycho Gorman. Uh, which we saw an advanced screening of last week. So uh, let's let's set the table for this uh, interview, Russ. Um, fuck. Let me talk about Psycho Gorman. It's kind of a our PG. Mm, as he's, known. it's kind of Monster Squad if uh, taken over by Guar. It is a eighties uh, nostalgia piece that seems to subvert every trope of the uh, the decade worth of John of uh, tropes and um, on paper, there's no way I should fucking enjoy this movie. I, I loved it. It is so much fun. It's um, there are a couple of kids there. Uh, they discover basically the Wishmaster's gem in their backyard. Oh, that's a good poster. And they um, being now here's one thing. And I bring this up in the interview briefly in the eighties, Exposition was so important because stories were still kind of, I don't know, kids weren't as savvy as they are now. The most modern thing about this film is just the way that the kids treat everything. And they get this gem and instantly they've already kind of like keyed into, we know what this is. We waste no time in this film on exposition. And if you look up Psycho Gorman, you'll see a PG or Psycho Gorman or uh, the monster lead in this film. Normally, when we're dealing with a horror movie like this, that's all you get. In this movie, there are endless fucking characters that all seem to have the same attention to detail. They're all thoroughly fleshed out. They're all interesting in their own right and could have their own film. And they just keep fucking popping up. Yeah. And the movie just doesn't stop. There's so many interesting things going on. And much like Untold Story, we're dealing with kind of a complicated protagonist. As the little kids aren't the like doughy-eyed um children of the 80s and honestly uh one of them may even be considered a borderline villain and dude it's it's so good i uh he is the villain there's no borderline about it well let's talk about but they do a good job of humanizing him so i uh yeah well he's uh, he's clearly it's too complicated that's a big conversation and uh Again, I think this will be out by... No, it won't. It'll be out... So what... I, well, Russell, to your point about uh, looking at this film on paper and how you think that this would not be a film for you, I think that part of that is that when you deal with these movies that are sort of these these big ideas and um, sometimes you can run into the trouble of we're cutting corners here. Like we're cutting corners with the effects 
and with it, you know, in, instead of having practical uh, suits and, and whatnot and actors there, let's let's do some CG shit. There's none of that. But it's all practical. Like there is some CG stuff, but there's a lot of it. There is, but it's it's underplayed in a way to where it, it works hand in hand with with what they're doing overall. They they're not cutting you know, any corners. I don't yet. even know if that's true anymore. I think ten I years ago I would have been really into like no CG, all practical. But now I don't give a I, shit. I, not, I, would, I, I would argue that CG actually costs more. Oh, for okay, sure. Guys, that's that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. My my the reason I wouldn't like this film on paper isn't the CG or the uh the thought that maybe they would mistreat it visually. It's the tone. Like the when you look at that poster, it looks like, oh, we're gonna have a goofy slap action fun yeah, time. For and sure. We're, and we're gonna, gonna be winking like at the camera. Like the, the the savior of this is A, the the attention to detail and everything and how everything um, again, is treated is is that it's it's all very uh, succinctly done, and B, the writing is fantastic. The um, the star of this is the script. Yeah, Stephen saved this film, and again, he he said he wanted to make his movie. This is the movie he imagined he wanted to make, and that's what he did. He did everything here. And uh, if if you listen to the shit we, we say on this show and you went back and you checked out like the Velocipaster, we're, we're dealing with that. The film language is incredibly smart. The jokes are perfectly delivered. Like there, there are setups where you're like, oh, come on. And then when the punchline hits, you're like, fuck. Yeah, that worked. Great jokes. No, uh, no way it should have worked, but they fucking work. Great family dynamic. Uh, and again, Stephen uh, explains this in the in the interview portion where um, we get the the polarization between um, who who's the real monster here between the girl and uh, the actual monster that we have. So Stephen knows what he's doing. This is an excellent script. This is a fantastic movie. It caught me out by surprise completely because uh, for weeks. For weeks, uh, Miss Osachi was telling us that we had the screener. We need to start moving on this. And finally, Russell and I figured out a time that it, Mondays are our podcast days. We're going to dedicate Monday nights to watching a screener or work about pre-production for the show. And uh, Psycho Gorman just blew us away. It was fantastic. Well, the name made me worried. I'm like, Psycho Gorman? What is this? Like, And in my head, I was thinking, is this like a South Korean like brutal romp? It does seem Asian. Oh, and then you look at the cover and it's kind of like, oh, no. Oh, it's odorous. It, it's got a, like, Turbo Kid vibe. Uh, I'll tell you right now. My oh, yeah, Turbo Kid. Smashes Turbo Kid. My fucking kills Turbo you think, Kid. You think so? Psycho Gorman. I like, yeah. I like the little... Then like you're going to love this one. I like the short. It was cool. My favorite, I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like comedy horror. Movies. My favorite I, is I the... Right there not, with you. There's not one that I enjoy. Well, shit. Shaun the Dead? Fuck, that's horror comedy. Yeah, fool. Yeah. What about like? I thought that was just comedy. No, it's oh, horror. Right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. I, okay. I, I. That was a good one. It's really tough. One. It's also, really tough. You're also wrong about Butt Boy. Okay. Oh, oh. Maybe I need to, no, no. Because no, I did watch. I did watch Butt Boy, but I think whoever. Well, I know who showed it to. Me. The person who showed it to me didn't sell it the right way. So I wasn't expecting and I got really bored. Put him on blast. Who who showed it? Josh, the director of the short film I worked on, his brother. He also fired you. He demoted you to boom. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
right. I need to rewatch Bud Boy because after you guys, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I wasn't. I've watched it before. You guys the podcast with the director, yeah, yeah. And then once you, oh, also you guys got a new listener because I told his brother about your guys' podcast, and he said he'll check it out because you guys interviewed Bud Boy because he really right. loves that movie. Can but we? Ap- I, I'd like to it. apologize to you, new listener. <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. All right, all right, we Damn done. I think we're done. I think Randy's very angry at us. Thank God. I can feel him through the internet. I think we're all very hungry. I'm yep. hungry as shit. Once we start talking about Taco Bell and shit and making homemade nacho gorditas, I, I, maybe I'll try nacho fries. Randy, I'm, what, I'm Randy what are you going to do for a late lunch, early dinner? Uh, I don't know. Probably a HelloFresh meal. HelloFresh? What type of lame ass yeah, is that? I don't got to go to the grocery store, dude. It just comes to me. It's cool. HelloFresh is trash. What, what Hello, what HelloFresh meals you looking at right now? I don't know. I have uh, a list of five at the house I could choose from. Randy, if you could hear your prostitute neighbor through your vent, what would you do with that? I would uh, like record <laughs> it and then put like put it in reverse and like put a beat to it or something. Hey. Oh, dude, hey. that's some lit <laughs> shit right there. Make it an Randy. ambient thing. Fuck yeah. Randy wins. What? what Where's fuck? that coming from? You're playing that? That's David Lynch's 100 balls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now play it now, Jasadi. Make some uh, reverse moaning. <laughs> Dude, that's okay. That's great. Use that as our outro music. There we go. <laughs> All right, so stay tuned for the interview that we had uh, with Steven Kostowski. Pull up his name so I can make sure I got that right. Kostansky? Kostansky. Oh Kostansky. You fucked it up. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Stephen Kostansky. Uh, great talk. Uh, as again, I, I hope that we can get uh, Stephen on for a longer interview here shortly. Uh, stay tuned for that. There's a lot to talk to him about. Uh, I think, frankly, we could spend a whole episode on uh, Leprechaun Returns, which is a banger. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. It's a banger. All right. Uh, until then, we'll see you for next uh, week. Uh, do, you, do, do, do the reverse moaning. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Right, you're Randy, fired. Randy, Randy, you've got some editing to do. <laughs> In this mess. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hi, Steven. Hello. How oh, are you? Great. Uh, can you hear us all right? Yes, sorry Perfect. for the delay. The last guy was uh, a little chatty. So <laughs> I just got off. No worries, man. It's good to hear from you. Uh, my name's Clark, host the show, and, and we got Russell here as well. Hi. Nice to meet you, Clark and Russell. Russell, are you going to get on the microphone? You going to sit yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to yell at Steven for being late right away. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, totally joking. Also, uh, I'm kind of nervous. I've, I've been dying to talk to you for some time now. I believe I started harassing you online after uh, Leprechaun Returns came out. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I'm sorry that I did not uh, follow up on any of that. I am awful on social media in terms of like getting back to people on stuff. Uh, so you were yeah, actually you're actually very uh, polite, and you did your due diligence. I think you were going into pre-production on something, and I never actually followed up. Anyway, oh, oh, so it's all your fault. <laughs> it's yes, my yes, fault. Yes. I know. <laughs> Your hands are clean on that, Stephen. You did good. Yes. All right. Uh, So, Stephen, we got we got a little bit of time with you today, but uh, I know you're in the middle of all this um, 
this press. So we we greatly appreciate uh, the time you have with us today. So first thing, Stephen, before we jump into Psycho Gorman, which we are huge fans of, and and uh, it's the reason why we're here today. We do have to say one thing here, Stephen, is that in this household, you are the man that resurrected the Leprechaun franchise. So we just want to mention that, and thank you for your service oh, on that. That excites me. I've actually, on a few of these interviews, I have had people uh, mention that they're Leprechaun fans and that they like the movie, and that makes me feel real good because uh, it, it's a bit of a, a niche audience, I realize, with those films. Um, so... Yeah, it's nice to hear from fans uh, that liked it and don't want to crucify me for making that movie. Uh, <laughs> now, it's Stephen, I think it's important um, setting up this interview to go into Leprechaun because, oh man, so Leprechaun Returns came off of the sci-fi film, uh, what, Leprechaun Origins? or I can't remember. Yeah. And yep. It was horrendous. And the thing is, there's, you know, there's a thriving community of slasher fans who are very particular about how their tropes are handled. And that film broke every goddamn rule. And I mean, slasher fans give a lot of uh, room when playing with these tropes. And you, you came back and you treated it delicately. You addressed every elephant in the room. You tied it back to the original. And you you really brought the gore. I... And you didn't write it. And that's really what I wanted to ask. It really feels like a film that has your, your comedic and like dark tone. Can, can you talk a little bit about uh, crafting somebody else's script? That's a good way to I put mean, that. I mean, like, yeah, I didn't write it, but I feel like this stuff, for me, writing is only one piece of this puzzle and being on set, uh, like in the moment you're allowed to like make on the fly decisions. Uh, and that's not to say I didn't sit, stick to the script. I feel like so much of the personality of a movie comes out of when you're doing it, uh, that it just all lined up so great while we were shooting. Uh, and like the cast was so wonderful. Um, I think they deserve a lot of the credit, uh, because they just, they delivered what was on the page in ways that spoke to me. Whereas like some of the lines I read them, I was like, oh, like I could see this going two ways. I can see this actually being funny and charming or I can just see it being grating. Um, but just the performances, I think, elevated everything and just made it made it work, like brought it out in the best way. Um, and then also uh, being able to just enhance uh, everything by having more effects ever. Like those were mostly my notes on the script when I first signed onto the project was like, it was just a big list of like, could we have another gag here? Could we have like more stuff here? Uh, I definitely wanted more because in the first version of the script I read, there wasn't enough of like the leprechaun getting knocked around. And I'm a fan of a villain that has a look that evolves throughout the movie. And mm -hmm. I thought that would be cool to have uh, with the leprechaun is seeing him get gored up as well as goring other people up. Uh, so like him getting impaled through the eye, getting his head knocked off, uh, the like shoe stuck in his head, like all that stuff to me is very, uh, it's almost like Terminator esque, like where you're like seeing the breakdown on the character throughout the movie. Um, so I was able to, even though I was working for like a studio and a network on a pre-existing script, I was still able to inject all the stuff that I liked into the movie uh, which I think gave it a little bit of extra personality and just enhanced what was already there. So yeah, it was like 
it was a project that went way better than I was expecting it to. Uh, I mean, on paper, it like there's definitely red flags to me. There was like, is this really the right thing I should be doing? But <laughs> it just seemed like such it just seemed like such an absurd adventure to go on. Like, and also to go like shoot it in South Africa was totally crazy and unexpected. Um, so just in terms of like the adventure of making that movie uh really made it all worthwhile and the fact that i had free reign to like throw as many gags into it as possible uh really uh like just helped the experience for me and just made it super fun and allowed me to inject my personality into it as well um so i'm glad to hear that that all worked for you guys we're we're big fans and we could also tell like with the to pivot with to psycho gorman uh, it looks like your personality is full force in, in this film as well. Now, Russell's much more of a, um, a savant with the slasher uh, subgenre more so than myself. And and Russell was telling me, sort of giving me a brief overview of you've got two <laughs> different types of slashers. You've got the slasher, you've got the mask, and then you've got the unmasked slasher. And the unmasked slasher l- tends to lean more towards a personality driven yeah, and yeah. and more talking. So um, yeah, I, I think the there's a, types. right exactly. Yep. And I think that we sort of get a, a similarity there with Psycho Gorman, where you've got this. Uh, your lead, you know, bad guy is, um, he does have a certain personality of his own and he does have these little quips, but, um, he is being controlled by these children. So, um, I, they say one of the toughest themes to film is with kids and you've got two here that still the show. So what was that like with the whole project of, of really the film sort of lives or dies with these kids and, and they knock it out of the park, man. Well, it was a huge concern going into the project. Like when I wrote it and showed people the treatment, everybody came back with the same note of like, yeah, this is great, but like it entirely hinges on your kid actors. Yeah. And so that was a big stress as we were ramping up uh, pre-production. So we cast a really wide net with uh, trying to find our child actors. And weirdly enough, in like the first round, uh, Nita, who plays Mima, plays Mimi, uh, she was one of the first rounds of tapes that I saw. And while at the, like that version of the character that she gave us in that tape is, is definitely not what was on screen. I still saw like a level of professionalism and personality there that I gravitated towards and felt like she like, she clearly knows what she's doing. And so I would like get her to do more tapes and follow up uh, like interviews and auditions. And I'd give her notes and she would take the notes. Um, which is also a thing you have to be concerned about with kid actors, like, cause they're kids and you know, they're still like developing into being adults. And, and like some of them have varying levels of professionalism with this craft. And Nita was like already like, like just on the ball with everything. And so I was able to direct her, have these conversations with her and she was not shy about anything, which was also a huge selling point. Uh, so with Nita and Owen and Scout, who uh, played Alistair, uh, like yeah. the three of them, they just had the right attitude. And that goes a long way with me is like just having people that know what they're getting into. Because um, it's like you could have the best actor in the world, but like I am not good at like navigating like tough personalities where it's like you have to like th- like the the performance is there. You just have to like pull it out of them. Like, sure with Nita Owen and Scout is like, we had a bunch of Skype calls discussing the project. We did a few read throughs 
and it was easy to just kind of guide them into what the characters needed to be because I felt like they were all kind of there already because they like especially with Nita like she's already Mimi in a weird <laughs> way like she's already got that personality so it didn't take a lot to push her in that direction no and it, uh, it really so, yeah. it comes through in the film because if she didn't feel authentic I think it would have really hurt it. And I mean, Clark just, he, he, he's been crying to me for a year now to watch the platform. And the only negative critique I had of the platform was the child. And this is a minuscule rule. Yeah. She doesn't do anything. Yet I still, it gives me flashbacks to aliens. I hated Newt. I hate Waterworld. <laughs> oh, and you know, it's not the child's Hot fault. Takes. It's, it's what they do with children. I hate the like society's crumbling, but it's up to the children the to bring it back. Yeah, well, we're, what, what you got to what you have to do is uh, what they did in that Italian zombie movie, Burial Ground, oh, and hell yeah. cast the guy that cast a guy that's like thirty years old and <laughs> be like, "You're you're gonna play like a ten year old weirdo, dude." Okay, uh, now Stephen, bite off your mom's nipple. <laughs> Now we're we're so short on time. I'm uh, expect more harassment online because I'm going to try and get you back on here for a real interview. But no, I'm totally all for it. If you guys want to do a follow up, I'm into it. Just let me know. Perfect. Well, I have I have a question that all of our listeners are going to hate. Now, are are you a tabletop fan? I wish I was. Unfortunately, I don't have time for really anything fun. I understand uh, it. Now, with the Gygax reference, where did that come from? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, that's a reference to Gary Gygax, of course. I, like, I'm familiar with who he is and his kind of relevance. Uh, but, yeah, as far as me actually playing, like, uh, Dungeons & Dragons or Warhammer or anything like that, uh, I'm unfortunately just a casual observer of those things. Uh, though a friend did actually get me a Dungeons and Dragons like uh, manual for Christmas. Yeah. Cause the hope is to eventually convince me to start playing. Well, uh, so that may change. Steven, I, I think you would like it. Now, the reason I was really hoping you would finally be the director that could back me up on this, <laughs> but I think playing, he's tried every single yeah, one. <laughs> playing tabletop games. They kind of give you a different perspective of how to tell a story and a lot of it is with world building and giving, a, you know, a lot more detail to characters that are, you know, background. And in your film, you play with perspective in a way that comes up in D&D a lot. Because when you're, when you're open to a platform that's, hey, here's a video game, but there's no rules. The first thing everybody does is they're like, okay, well, I'm going to be evil. I'm just going to randomly kill people. Yep. And it's like, well, weird, because now you're the, you're the protagonist. Except you're you're randomly murdering people. Now, how do I react to that? And in your film, I was like, fuck, somebody's finally doing it. You flip the good guy, bad guy, and we're dealing with like, you know, a little psychotic kid who's just got the, you know, the nuclear codes. And yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, when I initially came up with the premise of the movie, the whole joke in my head was like, because I at the time I was sitting down and watching Rawhead Rex Hell and yeah. kind of riffing on that premise and like, okay, like what if like this ancient evil is resurrected, but like a little kid had control of it. So you're combining the tropes of like this kind of dark, like fantasy horror sci-fi with uh, like kids adventure films, like with like a, like a Goonies or a monster squad or an ET. Um, and so that was like the initial concept of the movie, but then it really started to gel for me when I, realized like the only way for this to work is if 
like we have a kid character that can stand up to this evil galactic warlord that they've resurrected. Like you can't have some timid kid. That's what I've been calling the Harry Potter syndrome of just being like wide eyed (laughs) and innocent. And it's like, it like, that's not interesting to me and that's not convincing. And so that's how I came with this idea of like, well, make Mimi more true to kids that I know in my life, which is that like they're all a little nuts. And it's a thing like I don't see in movies and TV enough is like kids have a lot of personality before, you know, they like hit their teens and develop that self-doubt that everyone develops and like become really self-conscious. Uh, when you don't have that, it's like the world is your oyster and you can just do whatever you want and you make the rules and you don't really care. And it's like just constantly a game of parents trying to force you into like pretending to be an adult for a few hours a day. Um, and so once I realized like that Mimi could embody all of those traits that I like so much with kids, uh, like real life kids, it then became this fun juxtaposition of having PGB, the evil warlord of the universe, and then having Mimi be the evil warlord of her family home. Where it's like these characters, while polar opposites visually are basically the same thing. Yeah. And And once that dynamic was established, uh, it's like everything just flowed out of that because that's where all the fun started to happen. And I was like, oh, it's funny having this little girl be so confident and like straight up delusional that she would boss this thing around and feel no fear whatsoever about it. Well, like it, she does not give a shit. That That's honestly the most contemporary part of your film as you do a great job kind of riffing on 80s tropes, like the, the, the way that the children speak and they're, uh, their knowledge of like pre-existing IPs and like, oh, okay, we found uh, the Wishmaster pretty much. We know what this is. And they don't even waste time talking about it. They're like, we, we know what we're yeah. playing with. It, dude, well, this I, was a... Go, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I love it. You don't see that very often in films. Well, this was something I committed to early on when coming up with this story was I wanted to sidestep all of those boring parts in these types of movies that if this was done through proper channels, like if this got proper financing from like, I don't know, telefilm or something in Canada, like you would have all these scenes that executives would ask for of like, well, could you like explain like the gem a bit more? And could you like, I don't know, like you need to have more scenes like explaining what's happening now, like with like have the parents like understand PG a little bit more. And my commitment from the beginning was like, I am going to skip over all those parts. So like having the kids be smart enough to understand like what this gem is immediately having like, like even like the scene with the parents, like when they meet PG, we just entirely skim over them being convinced, like having to be convinced to be a part of this game that these kids are playing. Like, it, the scene ends with PG telling them that he's going to murder them. Yes. And then, it, and then it hard cuts to everything's fine. We all get along. So it's like there's like a real missing where it's like all that bullshit explanation that a normal movie would have. I just skip over because and I feel like it, PG is is basically my argument against those scenes is like, did you miss that part? Did you feel like you needed that? Because I sure didn't like once you're on when you're on board a story like this, like when you're into it, like 
you're into it. And that stuff doesn't pull you out. Like feeling this need to understand things because it's a ride that works instinctively like more than intellectually. And I don't necessarily, <laughs> I'm not trying to say my, I'm not trying to say that my movie is dumb, but it is not a movie it is a movie built on emotional reactions that I had to movies growing up and tropes and things that those movies had that work on a, on an emotional level. And so that, that is the through line of the movie where I also layer poking fun at how absurd those situations are. And that, yes, they work emotionally like the scene where uh, Greg is explaining to Mimi, like giving her his pep talk, but he's also basically confessing that he had an encounter with a pedophile in a van. Like <laughs> that, like it's like a scene that works emotionally, but on paper is complete nonsense. And no. so I just wanted to like, I, I just wanted to draw attention to that as much as possible and, and mine as much humor and fun out of that as I could. Steven, you succeeded and your film is incredibly smart. And again, you make jokes and you have plots that shouldn't work. And on paper, I would hate, but your, your use of film technique and your timing is impeccable. Um, everybody needs to check this out. I think uh, when this interview comes up, uh, it'll be out the following day. Yes. So we'll be promoting it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, Stephen, we hope to uh, talk with you again here soon. Uh, thanks for the time, man. Oh, I got one more quick question. Oh, here we go. Is it yeah. Wishman or Pinhead? What, Wish Wishmaster or, or Pinhead? Oh, I love Pinhead so much, I can't say no to Pinhead. Okay, what about the Giver or Orderus? Orungus? Uh, oh, oh, Giver, of course. Okay, I always, I thought so. Always Giver. Fuck yeah, let's see. I'm warning you now. I'm gonna bug you. We got We have so much more to talk about with this film. Okay. All right, sure. Stephen. No, let's continue this convo for sure. All right. Thank you for hanging out. I know you got a big, you got a bigger company coming up next. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. I will. Uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Great chatting with you. All right. Good luck All to right, you, Stephen. Steven.